If you just said this, right? I have to check out Ireland then. Another hundred year candidate. I'd, I, I, <laughs> what, you I'm said saying, what I'm saying is, I'd have to take out. Okay, I'll take out Conor Whelan then. Conor Whelan I, have to be. That's it. I quit. Subscribe to the GA podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, half past seven. It's Tuesday morning. You're very welcome along to OTBAM. It's Jerome and Colm with you. Colm, good morning to you. How are you? Welcome back. Morning, lads. Thank you. How are you doing? All good. What was your weekend like? It's a day late, but how, how are you? Very good. Did a bit of a tour of the country um, on behalf of Off the Ball. Went to uh, Carlo at the end of last week and over the weekend. I watched uh, both finals on Saturday in Galway. And went to an establishment recommended by your own Nathan Murphy, who there gives were four good recommendations. On Saturday, of course, Colm. So, uh, which which? Well, I wonder watch? what people. Uh, which two do people think I'm talking about? But I, I went to two of the finals uh, to see on TV over the weekend. Um, great atmosphere, actually. First time I've watched um, a huge sporting event in a packed pub since COVID, and you forget how much more it adds to games. Colin walked in, sitting down and watching it on. Colin walked in this morning, a little bit croaky, and I was like, oh, you still hung over from the weekend. He goes, oh no, I think I might have caught something. I've had to do a couple of tests. So first time you've been in a large gathering of people and immediately afterwards you're coming out going, I think I got COVID. I uh, told you that in confidence. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm uh, revealing, secondly, I'm bre- uh, breaching. He's not uh, got COVID, he's got monkeypox. Secondly, um, I, yeah, I did several tests, but yeah, I'm croaky enough, right? But um, not the... Because of your theory, you know, just actually unwell would be my theory. Unconnected to the large totally gathering of people. That was so long ago now. Not the drinking. I was, I was blaming the drinking. That's the other part of that. that if everybody's wondering, what are they talking about? That's what I'm talking about. No, you, no, you no. Just get a re- Basically, you reach a certain point in the middle of your life where you can no longer do the things that you used to do and you take it for granted that you could no longer do them and you try it again and then you're dead for a week. I find it's the... Um, it's actually the physical fatigue of the afternoon after and not the morning after. It's very specific that I wouldn't have uh, necessarily suffered from five years ago in your pump, which you are now, um, which you I'm don't get. That. I'm past that point. You're, oh, at a, no. you're at a great point right now. No, no, you you're don't even realise it. Same age as all those dead musicians. It's perfect. That's it. Well, I've only got yeah a month or two to go and then I'm clear. Of the 27 Club? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were 28. Oh. Um. Sorry, you were making the point there that I actually disagree with wholeheartedly about oh, well. that it's, it's better to watch a big game in a crowded pub. Yeah, well, like I generally, I generally don't like watching, say, a Manchester United match in a pub because I can't watch it properly because, you know, you're talking to people. So it's very difficult to actually focus on the game properly. But in a game like that where I didn't really care who won between Liverpool and Real Madrid, you know, wanted, you know, Rondo Garrett to win. Preferably, but it was you're mostly talking amongst yourselves and you're watching, and it's part, it's almost part of your group. But I, if I want to really focus on a match, I'll watch it at home. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah fair. But the atmosphere is better. It's incredible, yeah. And I, I completely forgot about it. I know it doesn't uh, compare to actually going to the event like you did on Saturday, sir. But um, just to have like a huge group around you to watch a match, it's different because for two years it's been watching it at home and you do get to analyze the match more, but you kind of take it for granted a bit. You also have like you're, you're either being distracted by other people or you're being distracted by scrolling through your phone at home. So I guess it's better to be distracted by other people. I keep my phone on the other side of the room these days when watching any game that I want to concentrate on. It's the only way to do it. Then halftime, go on Twitter if you want okay. to uh, form your opinions based on others, and then go back to resuming the match. Nice. Don't contact Colin during a game. You'll just get blanked. Uh, one of the things that 
we kind of didn't think properly through uh, in Paris at the weekend was the fact that Roland Garros was on and you could definitely have gone. There's loads of empty seats. That's one thing that is noticeable from any of the TV coverage. Now, maybe they're just the good seats that you can see that are courtside and they're just corporate seats and that's why they're empty is because, you know, the French corporates are like, nah, come back to me when... Come back to me today, for example. I suspect there won't be any empty seats tonight because Nadal and Djokovic are playing tonight yeah. in the French Open. So if you've nothing else to do this evening, and let's face it, there's nothing else on in the world. Yeah, I think tennis has its uh, time tonight. I think this is it for tennis. Um, it's great to have it. It's great to have a night to ourselves. But uh, it's a pity that these two are playing each other so early in the quarterfinals. Rafael Nadal against Novak Djokovic, a repeat of last year's epic semi-final, which is actually the first time they've played since then. That was the same night that Euro 2020 started, Italy against Turkey. And I remember that uh, Twitter had um, split its loyalties that night. And, and I think a lot of people were watching the tennis because it was such a brilliant match, which only went to four sets, but it's still an all-time classic. And then the year before, of course, Nadal beat Djokovic in the final in the 2020 uh, competition, which was actually played in autumn because of COVID. So, um, you know, cherish these moments because uh, there's not going to be many left, both in the mid-30s now. Uh, I would say the winner of this match should win the competition. There's probably a Carlos Alcaraz-shaped body in the other side of that draw, or on their side of the draw, that could actually win it in the semi-final. But I would say the winner of Djokovic and Nadal is going to win the whole thing. And I can't see Djokovic losing this match. Right. And so um, overnight, though, a new kid, a new Wunderkind. Yeah. Uh, Rune is, is, has come through. Uh, Holger Rune, a 19-year-old from Denmark, he uh, pretty easily beat Stefan Tsitsipas in four sets. Tsitsipas is last year's finalist, uh, one of the best clay players in the world, but Runa really dispatched him with um, incredible ground strokes. There he is on screen. He uh, looks every bit as 19. He's quite baby-faced. Um, his forehand and backhand yesterday just uh, dismantled Tsitsipas's game, and uh, Tsitsipas wasn't too happy afterwards, said in his post-match press conference that... Uh, what he, he, first of all, praised uh, Runa's solid backhand, um, praised his mentality and then took a big gap to say um, well he's a grinder which uh, is quite disparaging at that level of the game saying so, you know he's all graft whereas Runa would consider himself one of the most talented players on tour and I was saying to you Ger, before we came on air that this guy is not short in confidence for a 19 year old who on paper actually hasn't done anything in the game yet for instance this is his first ever French Open but he has all the uh, self-belief in the world, which is really what you need when you go to Philip Chatteré to play against one of the best players in the world, last year's runner-up. And uh, Runa, if you would, just to turn on the game yesterday and weren't following tennis for a while and didn't know who was where, you would consider Runa as easily the better player than Tsitsipas, which isn't necessarily the case. And that's how well Runa played yesterday. And it's an exciting time for men's tennis because at the same time, you have the other 19-year-old superstar in Cardis Alcaraz, so, you know, the, the future of the game is in good hands, provided these two guys stay fit and healthy and well throughout their career. I always felt with the, the four in Zverev, Medvedev um, team and uh, Tsitsipas, that while they were great players, they weren't quite good, good world players. class. They were good like players. Like Nadal, Djokovic. Yeah. Not great, uh, not great players. Murray, not a great player. Roger no. But no. these two guys coming through are showing real early signs of being absolutely exceptional. What, what about Casper Ruud? Uh, he is seated, obviously. So yeah, he's yeah, seated. You know he's a lot more about him, but like we've got the Scandinavian derby. Yeah, tomorrow, Scandinavian is it or derby. Today? It's uh, Norway against Denmark, so they're providing history there. Uh, it's been a long, long time since um, either nation. I think it's the first time that Norway have had a French Open quarterfinalist, and it's the first time since 1925, I think, that Denmark have had last day player at the French Open. Um, 
Rude is one of those players who's kind of perennial last 16, last eight player. It's been around for a while, but is very good and you know is the, has the more established game and really should be beating Runa. But then he beat her, Hubert Hercatch in the last round, Rude, which wasn't a massive shock. I mean, he did break Hercatch, who had up to that point not lost his serve, so that was very impressive. And he's a really, really good player. Uh, but is he a great player in the you know Dunphy Giles side of things? I'm not sure, but he's <laughs> we'll good. We'll see. It's too early. I mean, yeah, but the, those four you've talked about are not great players. Like we, we're talking when we're talking about the great players, we're talking about the the trilogy that we've had. Are you getting bored of them? It sounds a little bit like you're like you're ready for the next thing in your life. No, no, no. A little bit of strange what you're after here. No, no. I try. Just said like we should cherish uh, Djokovic and Nadal. Yeah, but you, I mean, you, you cherish things that you don't really. You've had enough. Like no, oh, no, no. It, I cherish it, your love. It happens. Um, it pretty much happens once a year now, and this is it's going to happen tonight. And all eyes are going to be on it. If you if you want to watch it, there'll be nothing else to distract you. Nothing. So it's right in front of you tonight. The only problem is, it does start so late. French Open started these night sessions in recent years, so it's quarter to eight Irish time, quarter to nine French time. And that's great, you know, it's like a prime, you know, as Owen said, Champions League, Slotty was saying before we get that air. And that's true, but the thing with Champions League matches is obviously, you know, when they're going to finish with this, this could go into the wee hours in the morning, you know, you might, might not be able Hopefully. to see the end of it. Uh, whereas last night, uh, Maran Cilic dismantled Daniel Medvedev and he did it in straight sets. Medvedev only won seven games, which was a real shock. And that ended at about just gone 10 o'clock. And he pretty much won't get this match ending any sooner than that. That's the best case scenario. If you want to go to bed at a reasonable time and be up first thing to talk about it, that's probably the best case scenario. But then, of course, if that happens, then we don't have much of a match. So it's a bit of a catch-22. No, I just want to doubt smash him. Going, that's what I want. This is going into the wee hours of the morning. And like I understand it from a point, from a point of view of television viewers, but people do tune out as the game goes on because people have to go to bed at some point. And the other issue, too, is that since this tournament started last Sunday week, there's only been uh, one women's night session. It's just it's all men with, with the exception of one and women. I don't think have been treated very well in the French Open for a long time. I mean, if you look at the order of play today, there's four quarterfinals on two from each side, and the first two are women's. So they start this morning. So it's almost like a feeling, and they might not be doing this intentionally, but there is a feeling that oh, we'll get the women's out of the way so we can concentrate on the men's, because it happens time and time again at the French Open, and they're particularly bad for it. Okay, uh, you watched all the Gaelic football the weekend, right? Yes, you weren't you weren't doing anything else. And well, I'm sorry, I'm not, I, I should have asked you that off air before I come on. No, air, no, no. I'm, sorry, I, I was I absolutely was doing other things uh, while watching the football at the weekend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, like chatting to my mates. Okay, okay, Grant. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, anyway, you you you're, you feel confident talking about the games at the weekend. I feel confident talking about the games at the okay. weekend, yes. Because uh, I listened to the f- first 10 minutes of the football pod on the way in this morning. That's all I had time for on the commute. And uh, it was interesting that Paddy Andrews had watched the game back on the BBC. And so therefore was not like raining down all levels of shit on how crap the game was, which is, uh, yeah. is the theme in the papers today and has been the theme all for the last 24 hours. It's like if you if you don't, if the only thing you say about this game is anything other than football is dead, it's being ruined by these people, dozens up north, then you have not, you haven't commented on this game. You have not lived, you have not read the memo, which seems to have done the rounds in the Outlads WhatsApp group. Yeah, I, I watched Extra Time on BBC and I watched Normal Time on RTE and it was a 
chalk and cheese and uh, obviously there was far more glowing on BBC but but even I watched the Sunday game then only you got around to it yesterday the night show and they'd kind of reverted to the, to the afternoon theme as well of the, this, this was bad that was like the, the main thrust of the conversation with regards to uh, what, what actually happened in that and it was it was negative football so that's essentially the theme of um, Kevin McStay's piece today I, Kevin McStay's pieces are generally full of like, loads of interesting stuff in them but for this one it's the same team because he was gone co-com and I, I, like Ross Common's greatest team of all time right would have reached an all-around final against Kerry do you know what the score was in that all-around final like 12-8 1-8 to 1-6 uh, Colm O'Rourke won back-to-back All-Irelands do you know what the score was when they beat Cork after a replay in the first game yeah nothing 1-9 to 12 points I think it was 13-11 in the second game and they won by 6 points the previous year when I think they might have scored 1 goal and 13 points That's hilarious like these are the these are the custodians of all time great top quality football that we're not allowed to know anything about other than it's shit that's how the analysis this is so boring we can't talk about it no no stop talking about it it's boring you can't in any way extract anything from this other than moral superiority we are morally superior to you because we are telling you that this is crap or you know uh, the game is dead they're, they're the two takeaways I, I am I, I can I can sit in judgement on what you're allowed to enjoy and what you're not allowed to enjoy because I played in all these classic games one twelve to 15 points wow that was an amazing game if, if that had happened sorry I think it was 1-9 to 12 points I was, I was giving them too much credit or or you can watch the BBC and find out what's going on. Yeah. Now, to be fair, I do think in McSay's column this morning, he is making the point that he, he's concerned about whether or not Derry can actually win an All-Ireland based on the style of play, which, that, which that, is different that, to, that, the, well, different well, to that, the spectacle that's like, point. That's like there's like 12 paragraphs of spectacle and then one, can they do this? Will they be able to get away with it? I'm not sure. That's, that's, it's not like... The, the brain has only remembered the, uh, well, can they do this in Croke Park thing? Because that's the interesting bit here. That's, that's the bit where I think that it absolutely is fair game to, to chat about the style of play. Is, can, is this a winning style of play come Croke Park? For the spectacle, I mean, I would take drama over. Can you tell me what spectacle. the style of play is and, and who are the main purveyors of it? How it has evolved over the last two seasons and what what are they showing in terms yeah. of signs of progress? And what are the what are the, the players who will be able to do this in Croke Park? Which one specifically? Which aspect of this will they not be able to do? As opposed to the negative hand passing thing, they won't be able to do that in, in Croke Park because that's yeah, all I saw. That, like that's the stuff you do want to glean from the analysis for sure. And uh, the, the the why you have that feeling that Derry won't be able to translate it to Croke Park. But Marty Clark would have have an opinion on it that would be well formed, multi clause, couple of paragraphs in his head to go. I think this this is what the, this is what they need to do. This is what's going to happen. These are the players they have. This is the options they have off the bench. We've seen them do this before in big games. This is some of the stuff that during the league didn't work for them. They've changed this in the championship. It just feels like there's a there's an alternative universe out there where it's not like I see the world in black and white. My style was good because we lumped the ball into the full forward line. No scores. Bit of bit of head pucking, a lot of wrestling and bad pitches. That was classic. They were the they were the days, my friend. Mm-hmm. Versus the analysis that we're getting, and I don't think it's I don't think it's right. You were exercised uh, about this with Anthony Miles yesterday, were you? I think I heard you. My time off. Ah, oh, look at this, this humble this, brag. This is passion from you. Well, I just I just am like two days in a row. Well, it was it was the same from O'Rourke. It was the same from Spillane. I didn't see this on the game. I don't. Spillane didn't figure. Uh, it was it was Gooch on Sunday night. Um, kind, of, uh, kind of, but that's a me- that seems like it's the memo, like or it's or some our house style has decided this is bad. Yeah, or is it is it like from from Gucci's perspective? Is that actually just something that's been hammered into him for a long time? You know, the the enemy up in the north, 
that play that style of football that's that's going to uh, crush our hopes and dreams. I'm not sure what um, O'Rourke's learned experience is. It, it's, it certainly would be different to, to Gucci's, you would have thought, given some of the finals that you said that he would have played in and maybe even that Mead style of play. So it's a, it's a bit different. And Even like, that four-game saga, like none of those games were classics of like, uh, you know, 215 to 2... Like they kind of were classics, but they weren't classics in the sort of artistic way that we like to refer to as classics. They were a like, bit like the Ulster final. That's what I was just about to say. And like, and I think especially after what we got on uh, Saturday, and I've obviously been completely tongue in cheek when I said to Cullum that we had four finals on Saturday. We, we had two finals that mattered, two that didn't matter, and the two that didn't matter. You would take the you would you would completely change the style of play that you saw on Saturday for the sake of a bit of drama, for the sake of a little bit of jeopardy. And I just mean a little bit of jeopardy, a little bit of uncertainty about where the results might go. And I think if you're going by, you know, rankings or where these teams have come from as a as a power base, Donegal and Derry over the last couple of years, if they went out and played like, I don't know, Kerry and Dublin have been used to playing over the last couple of years, would they be in a position to have won an Ulster title this year? Maybe they would. Like I've made this point before, the players are absolutely quality. So that, maybe that's not a fair point, thing to say at all about Derry, but it's a winning style of football and it's served up a whole heap of drama over the last few games and they've won three massive games as a result of it like it's um, I'm not sure is, it, is the expectation that Derry should feel ashamed or something about how they're what their approach to football is or, or what, what's the, the what, what's the good outcome here or what would be the, the preferable outcome for for those who, who hate what they saw on Sunday I don't know them getting hammered all the teams from the north getting hammered by Dublin and Kerry yeah. Like which obviously the Dublin Kerry have to play. So a Dublin or slash Kerry final against Galway would be the saviour of the game. Um I suspect. Yeah. Like I, I mean but we have to hammer Derry now because Yeah. Um like I mean I presume that Galway Roscommon was, was more palatable than earlier in the day. Like that could have been it didn't. It wouldn't have taken a whole pile of different things to happen for that to be a blowout. I, I don't think. Maybe that's unfair on Ross Common. Like a couple of the goals they scored, like that last gasp, Murta goal was pretty class. Uh, to be to be fair, and um, it was effectively the last kick of the game, or close enough to it. Yeah, basically, he was even shaking his head when he was celebrating. But yeah. um, like, uh, and Ross Common have been known to play like a, a very attractive style of football over the last couple of years. And um, I, 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 I don't know really. Like, I can, I. I wasn't actually expecting there to be so much negativity around Derry at the weekend because I thought that the whole storyline around Derry had kind of taken over. Do you think? Do you think that it's actually uh, because there's nothing else to talk about because the first two games uh, the uh, the alternative is to actually go after the GAA and say you have screwed up your own championships in larger like in population terms the vast majority of the country Munster and Leinster are irrevocably broken and we need to talk about this tonight we need to talk about this today during these games. The, the large portion of the summer is a waste of time but that that takes a little bit of courage to do that yeah possibly like I, I mean it's that's also like un- unbelievably uh, obvious and maybe people feel that that's been like a, a horse but that's been flagged. today's the day today's the day the, when it's happening in real time you remind everybody we had a chance to fix this and we're going to have you're going to need a chance to fix it and you need to go you need to go to your local club and you need to put a motion to your county board and someone needs to stand up and, and be bored by this and then go and try and fix it. Right. OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Hopefully Keith Wood will address the Leinster hubris, says Dave. Keith Wood's coming up at 10 past 8. Rebecca Clancy talking Formula 1 at 8.30. Sports News at 
Sports pages at 8.55. Billy O'Loughlin, the Longford manager, is going to talk to us at 10 past nine. Pat Nevin's going to join us at 9.30. As a Munster fan, Colin, were you happy Leinster lost? Yes, very happy. I just unmuted myself. Very, uh, very happy. We were like the only ones in the pub in the back who celebrated um, the final whistle. It really goes to show. It had to be more Munster people based in Galway on Saturday night. But yeah, I was delighted, yeah. I mean, not so much that Leinster lost, more that... Uh, so every, won. Everybody heard won. yes. I was delighted. Leinster lost. That's pretty much it. And that's that's totally because fine. of who they played. Yeah. 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 I wasn't really sure. Like I thought maybe like the fact that Leinster is Ireland sort of thing would have had me cheering for Leinster. And then as the game wore on and this thing looked like it was going to be possible, I was like, I'm ap- my my heart is absolutely rooting for La Rochelle here. I was absolutely delighted for him. Like he's yeah. so young in coaching terms, but this, like, he's going to be one of the all time greatest rugby contributor here. You know. This is ridiculous and uh, can't wait to come on the show again to talk about it because um, it's remarkable. Two finals that are only won it against one of the all-time great sides and they deserve to win. Yeah, Leinster not one of the all-time great sides because they haven't won a final since uh, since Bilbao. So as a result of that, you'd have to start taking away those brownie points. Um, but look, the hubris. I mean, this is why we have the hubris. It's like the, the Munster fans are reduced to cheering on the opposition. And that's what sports, being a sports fan is all about. 7.51 this morning. It is time for the only correct power rankings. I absolutely adore them lads. I have unbelievable time for them, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. All right, let's uh, run through these. We have the race for Sam Maguire. We have the race for the Talton Cup heating up. At the moment, we bring you from county number 32 to county number oh, one. I'm In at number 32. Mike's, Mike's on there, Colin. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was lucky. Uh, oh, and I can't believe he asked me that stupid question at the end there. He, he usually goes effing and blinding into the box the one day he doesn't. How about those stupid questions, eh? He manages to keep the, the mic hot. Uh, number 32 is Waterford they were beaten by Wicklow in the Talton Cup uh, London unlucky enough in their match against Sligo at the weekend had a penalty saved in the second period of extra time they were two point losers in that game they're down to 31 uh, Leash had a had a poor season and their year is done they're down to 30 the thing is on, on the weekend against Westmead they lost by three points and they were three points up in the second half of this game they had an extra man and then they got a man sent off themselves if that hadn't happened could have been a situation where Leash could have turned the season on its head but really when you look back on it you'd have to say it was a, a very very disappointing season Wicklow uh, were beaten by Offaly well at the weekend they're down to 29 and uh, Tipperary are one of the big fallers this week they're down to 28th after that defeat to Carlo big upset possibly the, the upset of the weekend really uh, Robbie Kiley and Bill Maher were missing for Tip but um, they should be better than Carlo. They hammered him earlier in the year in the league and David Power, speaking afterwards, couldn't really put his finger on what has exactly happened since the league final. It wouldn't have taken uh, a huge turn of events for them to possibly win that league final against Cavan and Croke Park not so long ago and uh, now they've been dumped out by Carlo in the Talton Cup. Uh, Antrim dumped out by Leitrim from the Talton Cup and Andy McGinley has stepped down. A couple of good results in the league earlier this year doesn't feel that long ago, but uh, it was a disappointing end of the season. One of my favourite moments from this game at the weekend was uh, Pat Shivers of Antrim, another great GEA name. He kicked a great score off his left boot and the boot went flying, you know, like what happened at school. <laughs> and uh, the boot almost went over the bar as well. Pat Shivers himself uh, got sent off eventually late in the game. Uh, they were beaten by five points by Leitrim again. That, uh, a result that we did not call. I think it's fair to say we got to put, put our hands up 
and say credit to Andy Moore and, and his team on that one. Uh, Longford stay put at 26. They lost to Fermanagh. Uh, Carlo, one of the big risers, and after that win against Tip, didn't see that coming either, to be honest. They were hammered by Louth in Leinster by 15 points. And then, firstly, out in the Talton Cup, get a win against Tipperary to kickstart their season. Uh, Wexford were narrowly beaten this time by Offaly. They beat them in the Leinster Championship and then Offaly got their revenge. They're down to 24th. And then Sligo up to 23rd now I did say earlier on that London possibly could have won that game against Sligo Sligo did have an extraordinary tally of wides in that game so they might feel that they, they should be better than two point winners against London but winning is all that matters and uh, that's uh, two wins in a championship for them this year so far for them but uh, none of the teams that they've beaten are actually uh, Irish teams New York and London the teams that have gone down to Sligo so they're still alive in that competition and then Leitrim up to 22nd and I would say to you if you don't think that the Talton Cup matters Watched the footage of Leitrim's second goal against Antrim at the weekend and when they score it, a Leitrim man stands over an Antrim man going, yeah, and one of the Antrim fellas kicks out at the player celebrating and uh, it didn't quite lead to any sort of brawl or anything like that, but I was like, this is this is championship right there, goading and kicking out, that's what you want to see. Leitrim, 22nd, down 21st, down a spot. Um, like They played Monaghan and Cavan this year in the championship and they've lost both games you wouldn't expect him to win either game and despite all the issues that clearly have been going on behind the scenes there even if things were right there you still might have favoured Monaghan and Cavan in those games Offaly then up to 20th playing a lot of young lads it seems John Mohan uh, making the point that they're taking this competition very seriously because it's a huge competition for the likes of the young players of Offaly he says that they're using it as a foundation like he mentioned some of the younger players that they've played Morgan Tynan Carl Flynn Jack Bryant and Keith O'Neill and he says it's a great competition for them and an opportunity for them to play along the likes, alongside the likes of uh, Niall McNamee so blending experience and youth is what Mahan is doing an eight-point win against Wicklow. Fermanagh up to 19th after their win in the Talton Cup against Longford. They had Ulton Kelm back for them at the weekend. He stayed at home from Australia this season to rehab a hip injury. He ended up kicking 1-1. So he was the difference for Fermanagh at the weekend. Absolute quality and loud. Uh, we're getting into the Sam Maguire teams here now are uh, down to 18th. Didn't play at the weekend. Westmead are up to 17th. Very, very nervous win against Leash, it must be said. Uh, Mead then staying put at 16th. Limerick down to 15th. The best moment for them really at the weekend was uh, Josh Ryan, Morris Fitzgerald style, knocking one over the bar against Kerry from the sideline, wearing Macassa gloves on one of the warmest days of the year. Oh. James O'Donoghue would not be happy. I haven't listened to the Does football he, pod this week. But you, I think you get a free pass for your, if you're the Macassas. Okay, right. I think that's like a... That's fair. Their grandfather in everything else. No. Absolutely class and uh, some score as well from Josh Ryan. Uh, but I've dropped them down a place. I've actually dropped them below Clare, which may be harsh. They did beat Clare in the championship, but it was in a penalty shootout. And as we always say, who would win if the game was in the morning? And maybe Clare would, would have kept it to below 20 against Kerry. I don't know. But uh, maybe that's overly harsh. And Limerick, Cork then up to 13th, I guess. When we look back on the Munster Championship, they were the ones who put it up to carry the most, even though they had home comforts in that game. Uh, Cavan staying put at 12th. They were good at the weekend in their win against Down. Raymond Galligan was amazing. He made two penalty saves in quick succession. And he also kicked seven points. They have to win the Talton Cup to justify being 12th. Yes. There's, yeah, there's no other outcome that will allow your rankings to maintain credibility. <laughs> yeah, oof, possible, I think the rankings are eternally credible and nothing could ever damage the credibility. Like the Pope, okay. Exactly like the Pope. The power rankings... Just as an institution, like the power rankings, almost... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Except yeah. no cheap imitations, which you apparently are getting everywhere these days, but go on. <laughs> uh, Kildare are staying put at 11. I just uh, couldn't... 
dropping below any of those teams below him. Maybe it's too generous to them. Ross Common staying put at number 10. Armagh at number 9. Tyrone in at 8. Monaghan at 7. I'm going through to all the teams that have had a couple of weeks off getting ready for the qualifiers, obviously. Monaghan at number 7. And then we got a few movers here. Donegal down to 6th. Uh, down three spots actually they were in the top three before last weekend looking through some of the statistics at the weekends their conversion rate was a big problem for Donegal they actually had 32 shots compared with Derry's 26 and according to GEA Statsman they had a 46% conversion rate compared with Derry's 65% so that's the, the losing of the game for Donegal at the weekend we can talk about uh, the, the approach to the game and how Derry stopped them and they did a brilliant job of doing that but Donegal's conversion was very, very poor. And um, that's why they're down to, to six. And that's why they lost the game at the weekend. Mayo staying put at number five. And Galway breaking into the top four after their win at the weekend. Uh, up two spots to number four. This is the first time all season that Galway have been ahead of Mayo. It is. And I was a little bit concerned after the win against Mayo that the that Roscommon would beat them in the Connacht final. And I thought that statistically when he dug into that Mayo game, there was... Uh, it wouldn't have taken again a whole pile of different things to happen for Mayo to win that game so I I just wanted another game and they won it and to be honest with you it was kind of the opposite of the Mayo game where I think Galway could have won by more uh, in 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 an alternate universe It's your internal version of XG basically was was, uh, whatever the the GAA version of that is Yep that's exactly it Uh, the, the only metric that counts um, well, what's interesting now is you that you call the, it your gaydar or something. That, that's exactly it, <laughs> the gaydar. Um, the last time we had uh, an All Ireland final that didn't comprise of Kerry, Dublin, Mayo, Donegal, Tyrone was 2010, like 11 years ago. There's only five counties that have made up all of the All Ireland since then. We've got Galway at four, Derry at three this year. On the one side of the draw, this year could very Somebody's well breaking be the through. Year. Yeah. I mean, Mayo could just draw one of them and go all the way to the final, of course, and Tyrone possibly could do the same thing, and that's that. We could be back to a very similar thing. Yeah, well, we should have we should have had Monaghan beaten Tyrone in one of those semi-finals if um, if the form lines coming from Ulster had held, that would have happened. Uh, I mean, Tyrone really only get in there because they won it last year, though. Yeah, you know, you but, would have said they were an outlier up to that point. Yeah, you, yeah, for sure. Well, then maybe. Well, they got to twenty eighteen as well, and uh, like so, so they've been in those finals. And I, and I think with regards to Tyrone as well, I think that their um, floor is obviously quite low, and it's probably they're running around their floor at the moment. But their ceiling is also much higher than pretty much all those teams, not in the top two at the moment. I think. And if we're here in a week's time in Tyrone, or after beating Armagh, I think we're talking about Tyrone as potential All-Ireland finalists if they're undecided a draw that doesn't contain Kerry and Dublin so I, I am holding my Jets a little bit on that just yet but it does look very very encouraging for Galway and Derry at the moment and the top three uh, Kerry three Dublin two or Derry two Dublin one not really joking it's uh, Derry three Dublin two Kerry one so Derry obviously the, the first team up there uh, a decade in which they won just one Ulster Championship game they go back to back to back Monaghan Tyrone Donegal, an incredible run from them, and like you can talk about every different aspect of this team, management, the support that is following this team that we saw on the pitch the last day, and this looks like a team that are like a boulder rolling down a hill at the moment, and they're going to be very, very hard stopped, and I think that they will be good in Croke Park, and their side of play will be very interesting come Croke Park. Uh, Dublin staying put at number two, and uh, Kerry staying put at number one so is the thing about Derry not that they've been able to win games in different types of ways and that they've actually shown already that they have an attacking prowess that we've seen them against Tyrone when they needed to rack up a score early to get out in front they were capable of doing it 
um, and that like you know the the evidence needs to be on the basis of this year and last year that this has been a, a, a slow steady build where they corrected any defensive issues that they might have had they got all of their best available players or the vast majority of their best available players completely aligned like uh, James O'Donoghue keeps talking about Chrissy McCaig's man-marking abilities putting him in like in the con- in the conversation for footballer of the year like a shoe in for an all-star if there was one today right mm-hmm. I mean that suddenly makes them very dangerous yeah like in, in Croke Park against a good team who was like well we haven't seen this in a while because everybody stopped doing this really everybody stopped being as good at, at doing this as you are at the moment yeah and I, I, I do think that like I mean when, when we look at the last thing that people are using as a reference point for Derry it's that Donegal team I mean they hit Croke Park things went pretty well for them so it did take them a year right uh, you know I'll, I mean they went okay that first year as well like they got to a semi-final yeah they, they just moved the dial a little bit more in 2012 compared to 2011 they were just maybe overly defensive in, in 2011 that first half obviously the notorious first half against Dublin yeah but if McFadden scores the goal he's supposed to score at the start of the second half they win the game yeah and they knock the dubs out and everybody's like wow do you know yeah it would have been very interesting to see what would have happened in that final they possibly would have taken Kerry that year uh, Kerry if it might have been caught cold a little bit by, by what was actually uh, coming from Donegal and Donegal do beat them a year later with, with um, a, a relatively similar team so uh, m- maybe maybe they get over the line initially and maybe that's what's going to happen to Derry here like as we've said like they've got every chance of, of going all the way it's just that quarter final draw getting that first win in Croke Park I think will be important and uh, if they can get a relatively forgiving draw first up in the next round then uh, I think they could very very much be in the, the conversation like you talk about all those different players that have have stepped up for them over the last little while it's like if you're a forward who is tasked with, with running back or contributing to overall play you know that you've got a massive job in your hands whether it's McCaig whether it's Rogers, whether it's McKinless somebody's going to put you on the back foot could Donegal have done maybe a better job to stop Michael Murphy being put on the back foot so much as in playing closer to goal more often maybe but then that uh, system played around him the, the, the Derry defensive system might have completely cancelled that out as well so um, like Rory Gallagher deserves a huge amount of credit for what's happened like some of the, the stuff that you read about him and his uh, attention to detail in uh, when it comes to opposition analysis is just in- incredible like there was um, a great piece I can't remember who wrote it but just the, the, the day before the, the day of the Monaghan game in one of the Sunday papers there was just this anecdote that when he was with Donegal and when they beat Cork in an All-Ireland semi-final he knew exactly what time the Cork management team would be bringing under substitutions and like clockwork I think the, it was Mick Foley wrote piece. Mick, Mick Foley wrote yeah. piece I think yeah uh, I can't remember who came up with the, the anecdote and it, it was just uh, the players were like whoa okay this guy knows what he's talking about when it comes to opposition analysis and I'm sure when you're working under Jim McGuinness maybe you can focus in on that sort of stuff a little bit more and by the sounds of things he's surrounded himself with a backroom team that is as well equipped as what Jim McGuinness did in, in 10, 11, 12 or 11, 12 in particular so um, th- that entire team I think deserves a lot of credit for daring the backroom team and when you listen to the players talk it's like wow they're, they're, it's, it's almost like a mini cult they're, they're, they're so in, in thrall of, of what's actually going on So you still have Kerry number one Kerry are still number one for me yeah um, like the co- couple of issues You're getting kicked out of the Kerry Mafia like yeah. as we speak there is like your, your WhatsApp is pinging there it's like it's melting down going what are you doing The thing is like if you were if you were building the power rankings from scratch would Kerry be number one or would Dublin be number one? It would definitely be one of the two of them, I think. But the thing is, we've been doing these since the National League and there's been absolutely no reason to take Kerry off the top spot. The only concern is that Kerry gains top spot 
because of the National League. Mm. That's a long, long mm. time ago at this point. And also because Dublin like, were clearly not really that focused on winning the National League this year. They have some other fish that are in the frying pan right other now competitions they're available. big. They're big fish. Yeah. <laughs> big, meaty, young fish. I was looking at this the other day. The, the only time this century the Kerry have won in All-Ireland without going through the back door or without a replay was 2007. So Kerry needs, have tended to need some sort of adversity at kick some point. Ass. A kick up the ass. And Jack O'Connor has obviously been one of those people who has uh, utilised the kick up the ass better than... This is also the first time that they've had uh, northern influence in the coaching ticket though, right? Yeah, so you'd like to think that maybe that's... uh, And they they will surely be aware of that. Like, the thing is, what what you say about that is, you know... Well, I was just going to say, the thing you'd say is that, like, you you have that northern influence which maybe, you know... Which maybe spells, like, ruthlessness. And I think Jack O'Connor is a very ruthless man himself. Kerry have been accused of not being ruthless enough at the weekend like Billy Lee was saying what I would say about Kerry is that they're always respectful of the opposition they could have kicked another couple of goals but they took the points I've always known that about Kerry they don't tattoo a team when they have them beat they're respectful and that's not unnoticed and now Brian Sheehan was asked about that on the Irish Examiner podcast yesterday and he says that he was never asked to tattoo uh, an oppo- not to tattoo an opponent that I don't buy into this especially early on when Kerry ended the goal chances and didn't take them that they, they should have been taking them that they should have been taking the goals and, and the goal scoring is a bit of an issue for Kerry at the moment. So that's his point, that they don't, they don't actually, they didn't show that true killer instinct on Saturday, even though they won by 23 points. I mean, it, 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 first thing is, like, did they not touch other? They didn't tattoo you? I think they did. There's like, that. that's going to be a scarring impact for Limerick football. Um, but that's interesting, you know, because uh, would you, would if you were to pick one word to describe the dubs in the first 25 minutes against Kildare, would, would like absolute tattoo, ruthless, would that be, you know, they had they had the big thing out. They were like writing their names all over. Uh, this was this was jerseys. not one of those like wash on tattoos. Oh, let's let's be kind to. It wasn't Hannah. No, no. Uh, let's be kind to poor Caldera. You know, we we want some opposition in Leinster for the next few years, and maybe they'll stop talking about splitting us if uh, if we just win this game by a few points. Nah, squash, squash, yeah. like squash it, again, <laughs> squash. Oh, one more squash. If you go back to the, what do we call it again? The GA there. <laughs> the Gadar, uh, the <laughs> Dublin's uh, finishing as well as that rootlessness is just absolutely incredible. It's like a collection of young men's sons on, on the pitch where it's like XG doesn't make any sense. Like the Cormac Costello goal, the uh, John Small goal. Like, I mean, we all know that John Small can play. Uh, that finish was, was exceptional. They had 31 shots on Saturday. Kildare at 27. So only four more shots than Kildare. There you go, it's close to take the goals out of it. If you take the goals out of it, Peter Keane style, then this game, there was only a kick of a ball in it. So uh, their, yeah, their efficiency is, is has been a trademark of the great Dublin teams and that efficiency is something that has very much been present so far in this championship. Again, the only thing is what will happen with what will happen when they come up just up against a better team and they're in a, in a fight for 80 minutes because that bench is just the, the one thing you might have slight concerns about. Now here's the thing, like the, the bench last day was Niall Scully, Keen Murphy, Aaron Byrne, Johnny Cooper, Brian O'Leary. We know that two of that five are absolutely proven. The thing is with Keen Murphy and Brian O'Leary and, and Aaron Byrne is that they're, they're, they're unproven but that doesn't mean that they're not good players. That doesn't mean that they can't be coming to a peak this year and it doesn't mean that they can't be 
shooting the lights out in A versus B games and training. So there is still very much a, a jury is still out nature to that bench, but that's the worst thing you can say about it. You can't really say categorically that's a bad bench or those are bad players coming out for Dublin because they're clearly not. Desi Farrell is clearly trusting them with, with minutes. It's, yeah. it, let, let's just see what happens now when, when they come up against a, a better team because that's when we'll really find out how strong that bench is. Yeah, very quickly, Mark says, in McGuinness's book, he says himself he thinks Kerry would have hammered them in 11 as he felt Donegal weren't ready to face the Kerry jersey on an occasion like an All-Ireland final yet. I'm not sure that's true. I think that that's the type of stuff that you put in your book and you're like, just in case we ever meet them again down the road. Uh, Shifty Lad says, good morning lads, best of luck with Try a Tiger, wishing I could do it myself. Owen, shame, shame. That's the, the opposite of the hail, hail Celtic um, thing. Uh, Danny says, the smell of them McCassels after a game. Ugh. That's just the smell of yourself, Danny. Bit of self-loathing going on from the clammy, plasticky, whatever the material actually is. Poly, is it kind of a mix of polyester and Elastic and I have shame. No idea. I don't know what, what what were those things made of. I don't know. I mean, certainly you wouldn't want uh, you wouldn't want them to get close to fire and be on your hands at the same time. Uh, Kenny, the dad, says I won minor championships in Dublin, featuring featured in county underage sides, then played at the top level in London for years. I now only watch hurling in the one London Championship game a year. The game to me is not just as enjoyable as it once was. I can't put my finger on it, apart from Duddy Gall's All Ireland win. I mean, like honestly, watching Dublin Mayo playing football over the last number of years has not been the high watermark of Irish sport like but it's, I wonder is that why people are you know uh, criticising what we're seeing in Ulster is because the high watermark has been reached and but when you see what two drove teams, them on what, what turned Dublin into that all conquering super team mm. Donegal yeah. Donegal are like the this hinge point in Irish Gaelic football history and that only happened because of the ah look Leave it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Well, yeah, but what did that Donegal team do? That Donegal team did evolve into something a bit more dynamic a bit in, more, in, but in like, those later years under McGuinness. It, it didn't. Here's the thing. In the game against Kildare, in the first game that they, they won, which is an 11 in the quarter final, their cornerbacks are up in the right corner forward position overlapping at various stages. Mm. They just hadn't perfected it yet yeah, because yeah. it was it was like it was we're doing something better and new and evolutionary. And that's how this is how things change. Because they had good games that they could measure themselves in the in the championship against. Nobody else has that. Like you can't see an evolution of Kerry football style beyond a few games in the league and then an All Ireland quarter final. Because there's nothing for them. Everything comes back to structures. You fix the structures and then come back to me with the, the game boring. Mm. anyway 11 minutes past 8 a reminder the football pod live Paddy Andrews James O'Donoghue and special guests go to the Royal Theatre in Castle Bar on Thursday June the 2nd that's next Thursday in celebration of Mayo football I mean obviously I mean Thursday week but you know what I mean it's next week and Thursday uh, uh, it's also a look at the championship race and so much more so they'll preview in detail the uh, Mayo Monaghan game but they'll also tell you about whether or not Owen's power rankings are correct and anything you want them to talk about that's the thing they're live and in glorious Technicolor the football pod live in Castle Bar Thursday June 2nd tickets are on sale now go to otbsports.com forward slash events to get yours today stay tuned to OTB for more details on more shows to come Keith Woods up next stay tuned OTB AM this is OTB Sports Radio. Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? Jack Grealish is like taking the Freddie Flintoff mantle here and just... <laughs> and people always complain that football is a dull yeah. and boring. Yeah. There's no personality. You know, the, 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 the goodness has been coached out of them. We miss people like Paul Gascoigne. Enjoy him. Room 101. Yeah. They were gone forever. Well, mine would be Saipan, the white suits, and probably Roy King. Oh! 
<laughs> Key makes it all the way in. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. The Football Pod with Paddy Andrews and James O'Donoghue is heading west and they want you to join them. Paddy, James and host Tommy Rooney are Castlebar bound on Thursday, June 2nd and just announced to be joining them on stage is the Mayo legend Keith Higgins. They'll relive old Dublin, Kerry and Mayo battles at Croker and beyond as well as analysing Championship 2022. That's the Football Pod at the Royal TF Castle Bar. Tickets are €20 Euro plus booking fees. Get yours now at otvsports.com forward slash events. Things that put people off on a first date. Showing up late and getting your name wrong? Always a great start. Looking at their phone more than you? Eh, uh, hello? Someone who only talks about themselves. Oh, really? God, aren't you great? Look, no one said dating is perfect, but at godating.ie, we promise we'll always try and find your perfect match. And if you sign up today, you'll get one week on godating.ie absolutely free. Yes, even you, socks and sandals guy. Go on, go for it with godating.ie. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 14 minutes past eight. Time to turn back to rugby. Keith Wood is with us. Keith, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, Chair. I'm great, thank you. Um, the Telegraph very quickly yesterday, their match report wasn't really a match report at all. It was like, oh, look at this, Ron Nagara, straight to the top of the queue. There's a bit of an issue in that, you know, the, uh, the RFU have said that they want to go internal, but they might change their rules for the right candidate. Um, all of a sudden, he's being linked. he will literally be linked with every job, maybe with the exception of the All Blacks game, the All Blacks one. And even then, because of his time down there, they might be like, yeah, come on, sure, we'll, we'll, at least, we'll at least give you a Zoom call. The stock has never been higher for Ron Nagara, has it? No, it's been um, it's pretty, a pretty extraordinary few days um, for him, you know, because I think... Everybody, us included, of the unlikelihood of the fact that La Rochelle would actually go and get the win, and um, and so suddenly, against all the odds, he wins uh, in his first time as 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 the real boss. Um, yeah, it's been pretty amazing for him. Pretty amazing few days. Uh, look, the the English job thing is. Uh, that law was going on the Telegraph because everybody's searching for uh, a lot of people. And a lot of English people don't particularly like Eddie Jones um, or the style in which he's playing. So they're looking for changes all the time. I think Raj needs to look and see what he wants. But if we're being honest uh, about Roman, he's always done it his own way. He has always plotted out what he wanted to do. He has taken the road less travelled. Um and he's delivered wherever he's travelled. So uh, I think it makes for a very interesting um, uh, high stool conversation. But um, I think he's an awful lot more to do in the club game yet before he gets to international rugby. The other thing is that um, the La Rochelle job is actually probably his for life if he wants it. And also it's a brilliant, brilliant job because the expectation was not that they were going to be one of the best teams in Europe as soon as he got the job. But all of a sudden, they're, they're able to do that, which means players who want to play at that level will be more easily convinced to sign for them. The lifestyle is sensational. It's literally one of the nicest parts of the world to live in, but particularly in Europe. It's one of the nicest parts of Europe that you can live in and play top quality rugby. His reputation is through the roof. The style is really interesting. Like, they can play any style you want. They will, they will mix and match. So whatever type of player you are, you can go there and thrive. And, um, you know, why, why would you move now? 
Well, I think that's I think that's part of it actually, and I, I imagine they're going to want to make certain they can hold on to him and it'll go a little bit deeper into their pockets. And uh, as 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 for for every successful coach, is what happens. But um, but I was trying to think about this over the weekend in terms of international rugby first. Um, international coaching is often the death knell for coaches, even when they're successful. It seems like they drop off the face of the earth after after they're gone from it, you know. And uh, you can see the rehabilitation that Stuart Lancaster had to go through um, uh, after after losing the England job in 2015. So it, it does it it can be very very tough. It can also be incredibly frustrating because you only have a limited amount of time with the players, and there's only maybe 10 or 12 matches a year. Uh, Raj looks like he's thriving off. The pressure of the um, uh, of the amount of time and the influence he's able to impart on a group of players who, um, who look, they've all spoken out really well about him afterwards, you know. And it's been, you know, the crazy Irishman and his ideas and what he wants to do and what he believes. And um, look, it looked as if they took every bit of belief that he had. And look, I know Roger a long time. We've had these conversations on here about the doubts that he has and had had at different times. And it's how he went through those doubts. That, like that's an amazing journey and an amazing lesson to be able to to pass on. And he he obviously has the skill to pass it on. So um you looked at a team that had lost two finals last year, who had lost Victor Vito, who's probably the most influential player, um Kerr Barlow. And then the players that come in instead who haven't played a huge amount of rugby were phenomenal. So I think he did an incredible job at the weekend, um, I think his team did an incredible job at the weekend um, and they seemed to play very, very smart. But he also said in his post-match interview, which I thought was a study in uh, in how to be gracious in victory, um, he also said this was the start of something. And I don't think it was the start of something for him. It's the start of something for the team. So that's what I read into it. He's also said multiple times in the past that he's a big fan of, of honouring a contract. It is a big deal to him. And he, he does have a deal right away through until until 2024. So it would take quite the offer for him to, to be ripped away from La Rochelle before then, you'd suspect. Yeah, I think so. And I do actually, I think that's a very important part uh, um, for Raj. And um, I think he likes that idea of building something, of trying to, um, you know, I can't say have a team following his image because you can't have him and Will Skelton in the same conversation. They look like different species. The, Will is an absolute giant of a man. And my God, was he well able to play. And uh, But they, they, they have the right attitude. They're the same attitude. And um, he seemed to get, I don't know, he seemed to get them to play beyond. I mean, I was trying to have a, a look through the, through the game again, not watching it again, but thinking about it again. And um, I, I couldn't quite get over the quality of some of the performances. Uh, Raj had been saying he thinks they have a better 23 and everybody kind of poo-pooed that. When, when they heard it, but um, but actually the big performances on the day, most of the big performances came from La Rochelle. They didn't come from Leinster. Um, and, and that's something that's, um, they were primed for the final and they were set for the final. And yes, they have big players and all that, but it wasn't just that. It was their players played. And I, I said it last week um, when I was on with Joe that, you know, La Rochelle had to play at their absolute best 
Well, they very nearly did. I, I don't know if they could have played a whole lot more. I mean, but who'd be a coach when you see uh, Levant on 64 minutes tripping on the Leinster players? I mean, who'd be a coach in that? Like, that was the winning and the losing of the game, or so everybody thought at that moment in time. And they still managed to, to fight it out for that 10 minutes with 14 players. So, so were Leinster not primed for the occasion? Uh, for Well, for me, Leinster looked a little bit... Um, well, they were definitely off kilter. And I know they were off kilter because of some of the defence. Um, they were off kilter. Line speed was fast, but it wasn't It wasn't ludicrously fast. Um, I, I thought they just, whether they were nervous, they definitely weren't complacent, but whether they were nervous, but a lot of the passing didn't go where it has gone all season. And I know that's a factor of the pressure that you're put under. But um, there's a slickness that we're used to seeing in Leinster's um, back play and the interaction, and that wasn't there at all. And I felt that that fed into some of the decisions not to kick to the corner at different times. And in many respects, uh, La Rochelle giving away a lot of penalties, which I think in the first half should have led to a yellow card and didn't. Um, uh, But in them kicking all the points, it looked as if La Rochelle were happy enough to, to, to do that, you know, to, to accept those three points against them. Uh, and and uh, it, it didn't, it wasn't as much of keeping Leinster in the game. And like, it was nearly the right thing. That's the other point. I mean, you can, you can argue against Leinster. I don't think Leinster were at their best. I thought they played, they were a, a bit frozen at different times. They were uh, over anxious, running over the ball. A lot of the passes then were being pulled. So there was a, I mean, it was picked up in commentary, but it happened all the time. A lot of the passes were almost behind them. So that makes life very, very difficult. Um, but they nearly had a winning strategy. And actually, it was a winning strategy if it had lasted a bit longer. But the idea of kicking all the kicks at goal actually kept La Rochelle in the game, strangely. So is that the bit that Leinster got wrong in that they went away from... Because, you know, all season long, the ball's in the hands of whoever the out half is for Leinster and they're kicking to the corner. They're not just taking those points. They're like, we're going to continually build the pressure. And if we don't come away with seven now, it doesn't really matter because we know that what we're doing is we're absolutely stressing you. And and whatever you do in your defensive line out here, we're going to know that the next time and then we'll just get you the next time. Don't worry, we're coming for the seven points and we're going to score those tries early and the game will be over. What 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 got into Leinster's head about it being a final and a knockout yeah, cup rugby? Is there something there? Yeah, I don't I don't know, but like normally the ball is before we'd even have a conversation about it. That ball would have been kicked into the corner. You know, the, the, I just felt at times there seemed to be a conflab um, between uh, James Ryan and Johnny Sexton over what what option are we going to do now? Normally, you don't even think about that. So. I don't know whether it was they were a bit shell-shocked with the scrum, which was very destructive against them. Some of the the line-out misfirings or whatever happened, but the confidence that they've had and shown all year ebbed away a little. It still meant they were, look, they're still brilliant. You know, they're a brilliant team. And they were, again, I say a minute away from winning. So it's it's... it's hard to fault them, but you can say that they didn't reach some of the heights. Now, maybe... That was partly to do with the fact in which the manner in which La Rochelle played. Of course it is. And also it being a final. And finals are, you know, I mean, they fray every nerve. They fray every fan's nerve, but they fray the players' nerves too, you know. And it's, um, uh, I, I don't know. I was I, like, I didn't, 
even as the game was going along, I just didn't see that Leinster weren't going to win. And maybe that was something that had kind of fit into them, that they can, you know, we can hold this out to the very end. Um, but they just never seemed to get enough of points ahead. So there was always the... Um, he, there was just the opportunity for La Rochelle to get a score and get back into the game. And mm. then it would come down to a very nervous end. And as O'Gara said consistently, they play well in the last 20 minutes. Now, I still think it took a couple of superhuman efforts. I thought Will Skelton staying on for 80 minutes was amazing. Um, I thought her dad was, was fantastic, you know, um, um, though I felt he probably, he went off for HIA, but I thought he was, he was out of it. Um, but even at the very end, I mean, Leinster had to get a yellow card at the end and didn't. Um, they gave away far too many penalties there. And I think it would have been the carnage almost, uh, you know, with the amount of noise if, if that hadn't happened, um, if they hadn't got that score at the end. But I just thought so many of the players, the, the La Rochelle players were... So if you look now, and I, I don't know whether people have done this, but if you look and say, who are the best players on the field? Like, I'll ask you that. Sure. Who did you think the best players on the field were? Well, Skelton, right? Like, um, I, I, I don't think Leinster performed. That's why. That's the biggest thing here is that none of the Leinster players you would say. So even though they almost win the game, you wouldn't say that they were at their best. And that's the big concern because this is Ireland, really. This is the the backbone of the Ireland team with three players. You add in three players and some a much better bench, obviously, when you get to the Ireland thing. And that that's it. That, that is important. We shouldn't diminish that. But you know, if you're any of the teams who are going to come up against Ireland in the World Cup or next year's Six Nations, the video is detailed, the analysis is done, and you're like here, 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 and here. And that's how we stopped them. And it's quite straightforward now and the, the tape is out and we're a year out from a World Cup and it's like, oof, this um, this does not bode well. I'd say Andy Farrell's looking at this going, ah, oh, lads, come on. Yeah, I look, there's a couple of things on that now that are, I would say, almost reassuring for me. But I just want to go back to the to the, the players first and foremost. Dante was fantastic. Uh, Antonio played uh, played his part incredibly well. Uh uh, Burgery, the, uh, the the hooker, was phenomenal. Um, Preso was pretty phenomenal. Gregory Aldrich has been the best player I've seen all year and actually for the last two years. I just can't get over the quality uh, of play. That, so they're all the standout players for me when you're looking at the game. And they're not Leinster guys. And they have been Leinster guys all the time that we've been talking previously. So... Um, Right. So the thing that makes me look up from this and say this is mostly the Irish team and this is a template on how to beat them. Well, it's a year out. Thank God it isn't a month out. You know, that's that's the, the difference. So um, it has been a very uh, influential style of play. It's been a style that um, that I really like myself, I have to say. I love the manner in which it goes about it. Uh, I love the, the sort of diamond shape in around the 10. I love the amount of different ball carriers that are there at the very start that are offloading. But you still have to do it. You can't like it as an idea and then kind of clam down a little bit, which I think happened. But also you need other options when that stopped. So what happens when the ball is slow? What other options do you have to use? 
what way can you speed it up again? Do you put extra players in to make certain this works at this time? Because that's what La Rochelle did. And when, when they would look at it and say there's only one or two players going in, they'd throw three players in and just slow it down heavily, then get back into a defensive set. So they were in a good place. So, like, for me, um, Farrell will look at this and say, okay, this is, we knew this was going to happen. Like, nobody has a plan that doesn't get outcoached at some stage. This is how it's outcoached. What is our counter plan for that? So for me, a year out from a World Cup, a year and a half out, I say, yeah, that's pretty decent. We can, we can, we can take all that. Um, and uh, but look, I think you need other players to, to stand up to it. And I, I, I do think that it was a, a strange day when uh, Keenan had a bit of an off day, and he's never had an off day. I haven't seen him play badly at all, and. Um, and Johnny wasn't um, totally on fire. He had somebody in his eye line every minute, you know, which which you'd expect, um, which you'd expect to happen. Actually, last question about Sexton. Then um, we talked about this yesterday in the show with Alan Quinlan. Is there a point where you just decide that we're going to have Sexton on the field at the end of the game because actually, when the game is in the melting pot, we want our best player on the field of play. He can't last. It seems has has not played 80 minutes very often over the last number of years so therefore you can't start him if you want him on at the end you can't start him is there any world in which we just decide okay if we want him to play in the World Cup for example all those games in that short period of time which again I don't think he's actually ever done what do we do here? Absolutely no idea I think the biggest quandary in Irish rugby is is 10 and Johnny and Look, I was critical of Johnny a few years ago, but I think he's played fantastically well this year. And he has been pretty much the master of all he surveyed. Um, What everybody now knows, well, very few outhouse play very well under intense scrutiny and pressure every second of every minute. And that's actually what happened at the weekend. And, um, you know, there's not, still isn't guys putting their hand up beside him to say, well, I should be picked instead. That's that's the issue, both at Leinster and at Ireland. Um, there are lots of guys kind of waiting in the wings. They they have got a fair amount of experience, but maybe they don't have the full level of experience. Um, I just I look. I think it's a huge risk having a guy that's thirty seven going at a World Cup. I want him going there, leading Ireland to getting past the quarterfinal, getting to a semi-final. Starting those games. Can you see him starting? I don't know. Like- I don't, I actually, I don't know. I just, but, you know, it's funny. I kind of argue with and against him on, on this one, but he has the desire to play and nobody has pushed him off that perch. You know, that's... So it's it's just it's an interesting it's an interesting place to be. Really. I just so, think he's more valuable at the end of games than he is at the start it of could games. Be. Do you know? Look, or at least we need to find that out. And the tour to New Zealand has to be the last real opportunity to go. Okay, we're going to start whoever at ten, right? And but Sexton's going to come off for the last twenty-five minutes of every game, guaranteed at least twenty-five minutes, and sometimes it's going to be half time, and we're going to see what happens. So we know. So we at least then have some tape on. This is how that works. This is what. This is how he performs under those circumstances. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But at least we'll know. Well, I think I look. I really think there is there's merit there's merit in thinking of it, of every option at the moment because we need other options and just resting on a guy of his age. Um, uh, the last contract offer I got was to be a captain in in Stade Francais for the last twenty minutes of every match. They just wanted a captain to finish the game, 
and now I was well retired at that stage and couldn't walk across the road and a minor run and play a game of rugby but you know that was their idea um, it was um, um, uh, you know the idea was just entirely different they said look we don't want you to start the games we yeah. just want you to be clear headed at the end of the game yeah that's like fresh at the end of the game I see but, the I see the merits in it for sure yeah so I, I, you, you would have done well uh, a year in Paris maybe you know better even off the field than on the field well, yeah, I, yeah. Do you know what it was? It was, it wasn't even tempting. Strangely, I, my um, the, about six months after retiring, my whole body went back to front. Everything went wrong with it. So there was no that wasn't there. This was two You're years wise. after. Fair enough. Two years after retiring, no, it was right. a very interesting idea. But um, um, yeah, I didn't. Uh, you know, I wanted to actually. I wanted to play there at some stage when I was younger. I can see the allure for for Raj. Um, and I have to say for Tonica Ryan, which, you know, oh, yeah. shout out to Tonica, an ex-Munchens man and Nina Orman man, um, uh, you know, getting a chance to have an influence and the forwards did an awful lot of really good work at the weekend. But, you know, to get take that chance, which is, it's, it's difficult. I mean, there was, look, there's a lovely image um, um, when Raj came down off the, off the crowd and hugged his wife, Jessie. And like, they've traveled all over the world for, for, for his obsession, you know, and this is a great marker for 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 a guy who has has done that. So I still think he's taken the most difficult path, going to New Zealand, yeah. where they often don't regard us with any real. Um, um, they're the exemplars of how the game should be played. So there, it's rare for them to take the views of other people in. No, for sure. Um, and and they embraced him. And he has used that to very good effect coming back. Keith, we got to go. Good stuff. Thanks a million. Brilliant. Cheers, lads. That's Keith Wood giving us his thoughts on the weekend's rugby. You can share your views on 0879-180-180 or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. And a reminder, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Now, to the weekend's Formula One, and I'm delighted to say Rebecca Clancy is with us to talk to us about the Monaco Grand Prix. Oh, no, we'll get Rebecca in one second. Um, the Monaco Grand Prix somewhat uh, overshadowed by all the rest of the the, the various uh, difficulties in sports events around the world, but they had their own issues, uh, particularly around the start. Mm. And p- people aren't happy with this uh, whatsoever. You've got a collection of owners at the moment who are uh, very, very unhappy with uh, the governing body. I mean, these uh, owners, of course, always right and can never be questioned. Uh, interesting to see how this power dynamic uh, works out over the next little while. Of course, the drivers themselves not happy either. Lewis Hamilton, one of the people to, to voice real concerns on Sunday afternoon as well um, about uh, the nature of the delay. Uh, a couple of quick comments. Munster are Manchester United, are where Manchester United are right now, cheering on everybody else that can beat our rivals, says Philip. And uh, Lorcan goes, do you not always cheer on the team that your rival is playing? Just wanted to establish that, Lorcan, you know, so that, because um, that rivalry is important. It's going to drive each other to heights. Yeah, like it's just when your team is successful in their own right, you can just, it's easier to find a little bit of classiness, you know. Is it? Not not the easiest thing in the world to do, but it's just easier. All right, we do have Rebecca Clancy with us now. Rebecca, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, we were just talking there about the the row that has erupted around the Monaco Grand Prix and the start. Um, maybe to talk specifically about that in, in a second. But the the fault lines between the governing body and the sport itself, the the Formula One, the sport of Formula One. It seems like there's kind of always a battle raging. Is this just the latest front on it, or is it actually something more? Uh, serious and, and long-lasting do you think the stuff that's going on at the moment 
I think it's quite serious, actually. There's there's quite a, um, there's quite a falling out happening at the moment. The FIA have a new president, Mohammed Ben Suliem, um, who came in in December, uh, and his tenure so far has not been impressive. He was responsible for the investigation into the fallout from Abu Dhabi, which we obviously don't have to go over. Everyone knows what happened. That report was um, underwhelming, shall we say. Um, and then there's been lots of fallings out because of this focus that the FIA have decided to go on about the jewellery ban, the uh, underpants gates, as it's being known, making sure drivers are wearing the right underwear. Um, and they are just focusing on the wrong things. And then, as you were saying, Monaco starts was just another one of these examples of the FIA being perceived to have got it wrong and, and perhaps just being a bit too cautious. Um, it, it's a really tricky one because obviously safety is paramount in F1. We know what happens when it goes wrong. Um, it goes spectacularly wrong and people's lives are at risk. So they have to be careful, but they are, they are treading on the side of being too cautious, I would say. The start of a race seems to be something that, you know, they've done quite a lot of over the years. You'd think a level of expertise <laughs> would have evolved and developed. And yet they seem to have got it so spectacularly wrong at the weekend. Well, this is another one of those messes from the FIA. So about 10 minutes before the race, it started raining, very light, wasn't anything, you know, you barely needed an umbrella sort of thing. But then about 20 minutes, and at that point, they decided that they were going to postpone the start of the race. And when we spoke to Lewis Hamilton about it after the race, he just said, well, it's ridiculous. We're the 20 best drivers in the world. This excuse that the FIA came up with was because they hadn't had any wet running, so they were a bit nervous. So it's for safety reasons, as they said. Um, which is just, you know, it's rubbish. Daniel Ricciardo said the same thing. We should have got underway at three o'clock. The rain wasn't that heavy. It was it was absolutely fine. And it would have produced a brilliant start because, quite frankly, Monaco is dreary at the best of times. So anything that could have spiced it up would have been welcomed. That said, at 20 past three, the heavens opened and it was like a microburst. It was monsoon-like for about 10 minutes. Um, and it, if the race had gone ahead, it would have been red flagged. But then in all of this confusion, we're getting these messages from the FIA saying it's safety reasons and we're going to have this rolling start and it's just better being behind the safety car. But it later transpires about two hours after the end of the race that actually that wasn't the reason at all that we were given. It was because the rain had caused a power outage which had affected the starting lights, which meant that they couldn't actually even do a standing start. They had to do a rolling start. And then later in the race, when we had Mick Schumacher's crash and the red race was red flagged and then it had to start again, they went for a rolling start again, even though we were all calling for a standing start. And we later found out it was because they weren't entirely convinced that they had sorted out the issue with the lights. And this is the sort of information you would think we would get during the race. Um, but we weren't even really told it after the race. It was because it kind of trickled out and we ended up finding out from Toto Wolff, actually, the Mercedes team principal. So it was a, it was farcical on the communication side as well. And no one really knew what was going on. It, it's funny, one of the things that is supposed to have happened in the post-Bernie Eccleston era is that the communication is supposed to have vastly improved. And, and maybe it has, maybe it is still better. And this is just a, an example of it all going a bit pear-shaped. You're shaking your head there, so it hasn't really got better. It doesn't feel like it's got better, no. I mean, there are certain people within the paddock who are very good at letting us know what's going on. You know, this isn't top secret information. If there's a lot of rain and there's a power outage, it's not the FIA's fault. You'd think that would be the source of information that they would pass on. Um, but it just doesn't occur to them to tell, not, not even just us in the media, no one was finding out. The drivers didn't know. So they were furious that they weren't given the opportunity for a standing start twice. Um, it, it's just really bizarre. It's quite a strange way to run a sport, I think. Is your sense that these controversies are uh, a significant enough issue for the unbelievable momentum that the sport has had to be checked a little bit? 
What do you mean? Sorry. As in, I mean, this the the, the burst of popularity in Formula One mm. has, has just been incredible. Like, is this something that could, yeah. could, could, could damage that? And that, oh, that I momentum? see. Yeah. Um, I don't. Uh, I mean, it's certainly not a good look for the sport, is it? F1's confusing at the best of times. There's a lot of um, techie engineering that goes into it. It's not just a simple case of 20 guys drum, jumping in a car and driving around in circles, as, as I know many people think. Um, and Netflix, the Drive to Survive documentary, that has done wonders for the sport. So people are coming in. But you know, that very much simplifies the sport. And that's very much about the drivers and their personalities, which is brilliant because we don't always get to know them very well. It's very hard when they're wearing their helmets and then they're enclosed in their machinery. You don't really get a sense of who they are. So when people come to the sport and try and watch the races and they're told about these drivers and how they are the best in the world and they can see a little bit of rain and people don't even have their brollies up and they're thinking, well, why aren't we going? I don't really understand. And if we're not getting the communication, if we're not being told what's happening, it just adds further confusion. And so it's not a great look for the sport and for these new fans where it's pretty complicated anyway. Um, it doesn't make them want to stick around, I imagine. And, you know, the start was delayed by 75 minutes. I can't imagine many people stuck around for the whole time. Yeah, it's a shocking uh, development, really, when you think about it for a little bit of rain when, you know, the um, we should expect inclement weather from time to time. Uh, last thing here is, is really just about then the, the race itself um, for the, the driver's title. Uh, how straightforward will it be for the rest of the year? Is there any way that um, we might see Lewis Hamilton uh, crowbar himself back into that conversation or has that ship sailed? I think, unfortunately, that ship has sailed. He's 75 points behind um, the championship leader at the moment, who is Max Verstappen. I can't really see a way past. Mercedes looked very good in Barcelona. Um, they were always going to be terrible in Monaco. Even when they have the best car, they're always terrible in Monaco, um, simply because they have a very long car. It's very hard to drive a long car around a very tight, twisty track. Um, so I think that ship has sailed. Even with George Russell, he's a bit closer, slightly more within touching distance. But it's it's not so much about Mercedes now. I just don't think Red Bull are going to take their eye off the ball. I don't think they're going to make the mistakes that we saw Ferrari make, which cost Charles Leclerc the win at the weekend um, and also cost him the win in Spain when they had a reliability issue with their engine. Um, I think Red Bull are just going to drive away with it, as it were. Um, but I, it's a shame because we would have liked to see Mercedes in the hunt. But the thing to remember is we're in a new season of regulations and these regulations are going to carry on. So it's really important for Mercedes to get this car right. They can't just give up and decide to switch to next year because next year's car is based on this year's car. So it's great to see Mercedes making progress. So I think we'll have them in the title fight next year, but I think it will very much be between Ferrari and Red Bull. But we just have to keep our fingers crossed that Ferrari can source out what looks like some um, issues going on. They certainly made huge mistakes, two big, big mistakes on Sunday, which couldn't couldn't be fixed on the track by Leclerc. Um, and and they've got some head scratching to do, I suspect, between now and the next race in Azerbaijan. And is it your sense that we could have a proper three-horse race next season then? Yeah, there's no reason why not. Mercedes certainly look like they've found um, answers to their main issues the porpoising as we all know about that violent bouncing of the car that gives you a headache just looking at it um so yeah i think i think they're definitely going in the right direction even in the space of we've had what spain was a sixth race they knocked they were a second behind at the start of the season now they're half a second if they can keep going at that trajectory there's no reason to think that by the end of the year they won't be right up there fighting probably causing a few issues in the championship fight maybe taking some points off here and there and making that battle a bit more interesting but they themselves i don't think will be in it All right, Rebecca, great to have you with us. Thanks a million. Cheers. Cheers.
Let's say Rebecca Clancy of the Times there giving us her thoughts on the weekend. Uh, Monaco, um, Johnny says, I'm not a big fan of the new F1 cars. Big bouncing lumps. Yes, they can follow closer, but Ross Braun had us all thinking that they were going to revolutionise motor racing like Haas had all of a sudden winning races. Um, yeah, it's good to know that uh, even when there's like absolute billions invested in technology, sometimes uh, being able to turn the lights from red to green doesn't work. It's true, and it's uh, definitely all the president's fault. Um, it, it, like that dynamic is interesting, isn't it? That like you have this sport regulated when they could just break away and go, no, we're going to make our own rules here. Yeah, it's true. Um, like I mean, th- there was also kind of complaints, wasn't there, a couple of weeks ago about safety, um, about the, the the crash barriers that were on the course in Miami, and then a few weeks later, everybody's critical of the FAA for being too cautious when it comes to safety. Um, and other very different things racing in the the rain should be doable um, but um, yeah it's you often quite have a, a limited amount of sympathy for some of the complaints that come out of Formula 1 teams but it does seem that everybody's on on one side after this weekend Right 8.45 this morning OTBIM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day uh, Carl's here Carl good morning to you hey, how are you getting on going? what's going on uh, so UEFA says it will carry out a comprehensive review into issues at last Saturday's Champions League final in Paris. Thousands of supporters experienced problems in accessing the Stade de France with kickoff delayed by 35 minutes. The UK government and Liverpool among those demanding an investigation and the French government blaming ticket fraud for much of the problems. Meanwhile, the Republic of Ireland continue their preparations today for their upcoming Nations League campaign. Stephen Kennedy's side take on Armenia in their opening group game on Saturday that also meets Scotland in this international window as well as playing the Ukraine on two occasions. Todd Moley says he wants to build on Chelsea's remarkable history of success. The Americans consortium completed a 5 billion euro takeover of the club yesterday and that brings to an end Russian oligarch Roman Abramovich's 19-year ownership of Chelsea. A big day ahead at the French Open tennis. The quarterfinal stage gets underway. Two of the favourites for the men's singles title go head-to-head. World number one and defending champion Novak Djokovic takes on 13-time champion Rafa Nadal and that game is at Roland Garros this evening. The other last day tied today is the meeting of third seed Alexander Zverev and sixth seed Carlos Alcaraz. The quarterfinal stage of the women's singles also begins. Canadian Leila Fernandez plays Mexico's Martina Trevisan and then it's the All-American meeting of Coco Goff and Sloan Stevens. In Gaelic Games news this morning, Dublin have been handed a boost in their bid to regain the All-Ireland ladies football title. Lauren McGee has de- decided to bring an end to her AFLW career, having spent time with Melbourne. Dublin winning the Leinster title last weekend, of after overing the coming the challenge of Meath, while in Leash, uh, that long-standing footballer John O'Loughlin has retired from the inter-county game. He played for 15 seasons, and Leash exited the Talchon Cup on Sunday after an hour loss to West Meath. In racing, seven races today at Ballon Robe from 25 to five, or the first of seven races at Tipperary off at a quarter past five. And some other uh, news breaking this morning: World number one Scotty Scheffler is the latest name to be added to the list for the JP McManus Pro-Am at Adair Manor in early July. The other additions announced this morning include Justin Speeth, or Jordan Speeth rather, Patrick Cantley, Ricky Fowler, Jason Kokrak, Sam Burns and Tom Hoagie in the lineup for the event. Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy, of course, um, already among the other names confirmed for that. And the Republic of Ireland women's national team set to travel to Turkey for a training camp to aid their preparation for their upcoming World Cup qualifier away to Georgia. They've also confirmed that they'll take on the Philippines in an international friendly and that game is scheduled for the 19th of June. Uh, have you played it there? No, I haven't. I drove by it last yeah. week, actually. It's nice driving past it. Yeah. It looks very nice. 
That's. Uh, I was actually. Yeah, I was there at the Irish Open when Harrington won. Is that two thousand and? God, what year is it? Two thousand seven. Six. I want to yeah. say it's around then. All right, yeah. Yeah, I can still remember uh, the eighteenth there, and um, oh, it's a great venue. Yeah, it's going to be some some event. I think nineteen of the twenty four Ryder Cup players that are confirmed now for that pro am. So I mean, it's going to be unbelievable. Uh, the quality of that field. So fourth and fifth of July, and all for charity as well, which is brilliant. Have you uh, played it? No. Oh. Not yet. No, if anybody wants to fix that, though, you know. Ryder Cup uh, Pro-Am maybe in a few years' time. Exactly, yeah. They, 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 it's funny that they don't do Pro-Ams for the Ryder Cup because you can just imagine how much money there would be spent on trying to get into that, that Pro-Am. Mm-hmm. Maybe they should start selling that, should they? An extra day to relieve a bit of the pressure, puffed-up tension. A special September JP Pro-Am, potentially, in whatever year the Ryder Cup is on. Yeah. When is it? Is it? How many years away are we now? 26 or 27. Is it 27? Is the bypass getting done for it? Is that the, the whole knock-on <laughs> impact so. of... I was of in that traffic there last week and I tell you what... That's off. Yeah, has to be done. Has to be. But um, I think there's special parking arrangements for the Pro-Am as well that you... Certain parking, you have to book parking and stuff like that because it's just... Do they park you in Limerick and then fly in by helicopter? Yeah. That's <laughs> probably. Yeah. The helipads are going to be in use, yeah. But um, lovely part of the world great course and they've done a lot of work there recently as well so it's going to be a totally different venue for the Ryder Cup than it was for Is the course massively different? I think they've they've totally changed kind of the base of the course in terms of the, the way that it's been built and the grass that's on it and stuff like that okay. without being overly au fait with uh, green keeping but um, they did put it spent a lot a lot of money on it and the green complexes are significantly different as well but from what I hear from people that have played it since the kind of renovations it's just it's been termed as the uh, European Augusta National so that's uh, praise indeed. All right. Uh, it'd be good if we've got a tournament every year then. Something else uh, as part of that uh, jointly sanctioned European PGA Tours. That would be good. Yeah. A PGA Tour event in a dare. We could, we could happily have that. Absolutely. And it is an American style golf course as well. You take live golf in a dare? I mean, no. Probably not. <laughs> probably wouldn't. You know, I think maybe we should like... You could come watch Phil Nicholson play every week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it is, it's, it's definitely like one of the best venues in, in Europe now. And obviously if it's going to host the Ryder Cup in the longer term, you would think it will. It could be the Irish Open every second year, like the K Club has got it for three years now, I think it's confirmed. Um, so you, we do have that kind of, those big tournament venues that we have now with the K Club in Adair Manor. And then you've got all your links courses that are capable of hosting those sort of tournaments as well so we're spoiled for choice no definitely yeah all right Carl good stuff thanks, thanks for that it's Carl Manley giving us his thoughts there you can read more from Carl on otvsports.com across the day and a reminder we're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day uh, Boatman says I think La Rochelle were underrated by the media they comprehensively beat Leinster last year it was never 4.5 to 1 odds as the bookies more like 50-50 so no massive surprise really I mean I guess that's not true that like the bookies base their stuff on all of the available evidence. They stick all the, the data into the algorithms and all the stats showed that Leinster were more than likely, the probability of them was that they were going to win the game. Um, you know, the spread was 12 points. And so it's not that it's a, oh, the, the pundits were all wrong. It's like you can only go on the evidence available to you up to that point. Otherwise, it's just guesswork. Like... I guess I, I feel in my waters that La Rochelle are going to do it this weekend is doesn't really qualify as analysis now hopefully we'll find out sooner rather than later exactly what it was 
in in terms of that information that Roger had been working on from the Leinster Connacht game and the Leinster Toulouse game that he saw. Okay, I see this and I see this. And I see that if we put pressure on them at these points, we're going to be able to get something from it. What was it the Ulster game that he said? Not Leicester. The, Leicester. Sorry, yeah, Leicester. Um, La Rochelle are a team with as many internationals as Leinster. Leinster have been held up as though they are the greatest to have ever done it. And now all the pundits are in shock, looking for excuses, outplayed and outthought by a better side. Oh, the schadenfreude. Tastes so good to all those Monster fans, doesn't it? How do you know he's a Monster fan? Well, because he is. Or else he's just an anti-rugby person. I mean, might, might just be a person who likes justice. And it was justice for uh, right-minded people. That La Rochelle won at the weekend, of course. Was it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're loving this. You got completely carried away with yourself, Leinster did, Media. Did we? Leinster bias. Look at us in our even postcode in Dublin City. When they put 40 points... Well, I, I'm an odd postcode myself, but uh, when they put... Uh, <laughs> Humble brag. Accidental partridge. Not so accidental. Um when they put 40 points on the reigning champions who were also the reigning French champions in the semi-final it was like oh we can't take this as evidence that's not evidence I mean what sorry that's the most recent game I'm not allowed to use this as my analysis starting point for analysis no no last game against La Rochelle once retired him out there was no there was no um, there was no crowd last year either was there don't think so (laughs) the La Rochelle crowd were getting absolutely praised in the papers today but we did have an email from uh, somebody who don't mention my name due to the nature of my employment. Uh, I and the other Leicester fans didn't expect to be around hostile fans like we were on Saturday. I know the atmosphere at the RDS and Aviva is quite poor recently, but Saturday was like attending a soccer game. La Rochelle fans threw flags at me and other supporters for cheering on Leicester during the game. They were great at cheering on their team, but booed the names of the Leicester team called out, the kickers, anytime Sexton was on the ball and any decision against them. I would have rooted for La Rochelle in the past with the Raj connection but definitely not now after experiencing their fans if that's French rugby then they bring a passionate but nasty element to the game that's not welcome La Rochelle disappointed in you are thought, you? thought they were good lads <laughs> are you disappointed? So disappointed? that sounds great yeah is that not like well, also throwing a flag at someone doesn't throwing sound like throwing a flag does not sound good but, no, but no. that doesn't sound like a very you know useful that's, way of that was my experience with the Munster fans when Munster beat Leinster that first time how do you throw a flag at someone? Does the flag not like... Banging thick? on the head with the flag. Well, banging you on the head with the flag it stick. a kid banging me on the head <laughs> with a monster flag and I turn around to the parents and they're laughing his head off. fucking <laughs> pricks. Uh, but like, I would have thought... But there tr- should be that rivalry. Yeah. The monster fans should have booed the kickers in the penalty shootout and maybe then there would have been no softening up. Mm. Maybe then we would have got to see who the best team in Irish rugby is. <laughs> Uh, which, of course, is Leinster B's t- Leinster's B team. I'm still just thinking about throwing a flag at someone like I me. Mean, that's just so impractical. Well, no, it, it becomes, just, a, becomes a bit of a spear. Oh, yeah, maybe that. If you throw it like that, I'm kind of thinking that it kind of more floats and it wouldn't really necessarily be very aerodynamic. Um, so I think that's probably a silly way to try and uh, injure an opponent. All the comments from the bandwagon brigade was a 20-plus win for Leinster, says Hey Hey. La Rochelle have a doggedness and anyone that thought they'd roll over our fools. I commented before the game that it would be a tight affair. With Rog on board, they had the edge. Delighted for La Rochelle and their supporters. When Johnny Sexton went, Leinster were rudderless, says Stephen. Bottled it, unfortunately. Absolutely gutted, says Carlo Mann. Uh, Pete St. John says, the URC League is Division 2 standard. Leinster sleepwalk through it and then meet a proper team and that's 80% Irish international team. Worrying times and the New Zealand tour looming. I think the blaming of the URC is nonsensical to be honest it's like uh, it's absolutely perfect for them and they they just played Toulouse like they just played Toulouse and before that they just played Leicester like 
I used to buy the URC thing, but this season I think I think it was kind of blown out of the water by the run that Leinster are on for sure. Uh, I really hate people sneering at others that say Leinster and Liverpool are still the best teams in Europe, says Brown. Guarantee they wouldn't bet against either of them doing it next year. To be fair, Jerry, I'm not sure it's Munster fans deciding in Leinster's loss. We're all too beaten down to offer any insults at anyone. Well, it took them 24 hours, Brown, but they're, they're all back. You're nothing all, you're nothing all back. else to do, like, really. No, it's true. Uh, Damien says, French rugby union fans are all like that. It's just the way they enjoy it. Is that, has that been your experience with French rugby fans? Bad? Um, I don't know I can never get over it we, we, when we were in Paris in 2016 we went to interview SoFoot the like kind of hipster football magazine and the, they spent we were there for about 40 minutes and they spent about 25 minutes of it getting out of it French rugby fans what were they saying ah oh, farmers ah oh. it's like <laughs> everybody was smoking in the office it was mad it was like oh we've just stepped back to 1972 here uh, but yeah so soccer fans disliking rugby fans is a, a worldwide cultural phenomenon. Uh, and is it because of the behaviour at matches or like the, well, oh, what's, just, what's, the hate, what's the hate for the agricultural community? It was just that like urban versus rural, rural and rich rural specifically. Okay. They weren't paisans. They weren't, um, it wasn't the peasants who were coming down from wherever it was. I don't know. I, I mean, it seemed like it was a fairly uh, reductive take but very good crack <laughs> so uh, the farmers completely um, trolls the Leinster people at the weekend it turns out oh I don't think they're farmers in, in La Rochelle they're like what are they vineyards uh, tour, Vineyard tourism farmers. like tourism yeah it's a, it's a small town um, but it's a very nice part of the world apparently uh, we're nearly 9 o'clock here spectacle lacking in the sport at the crossroads spectacle lacking in a sport at the crossroads I did it twice. It so good. Sports Tuesday. This is the Irish Times. They're also saying pictures of the Ireland team training. Kenny bullish about Ireland's prospects ahead of busy four-game schedule. Like, this, these football matches are absolute seminal moments in the Kenny era. Uh, if he gets through this with good results, we're up and running. We're away. Mm. Like, um, Dan McDonald makes the point that everybody showed up. Uh, I didn't think it would blow up. This is Callum Robinson talking about being vaccinated or not. Um that time that he then went on to score five goals maybe we should get him involved in some controversy every time because it definitely inspired him uh, a long time coming as Dawson hits gold standard Gabriel Dawson Dawson, Dawson um, walked through the doors of Olympic Boxing Club in Galway at the age of 16 his prowess in the ring was already well known in the city um, he's 22 and uh, I think where does it say he's a middleweight is he a middleweight this is like very exciting a 22 year old middleweight who is beating his English counterpart at this stage uh, fingers crossed that there's a good long professional career ahead of him as well safety first civil unrest in Armenia has FAI on alert so the FAI have sent an advanced security team to Armenia to ensure the safety of the Irish squad when they arrive in Yerevan tomorrow um, and Munster didn't show up against Leinster this is Conor Murray talking about um, the team not showing up against was it Leinster's third team um, Michael Owen's daughter is in Love Island yeah does that give you an excuse to watch it do you need an excuse I don't need an excuse to watch it no to be honest just good highbrow television uh, when does it start I don't know Mane's path is clear Sadio Mane's moved a step closer to leaving Liverpool for Bayern after Lewandowski confirmed he's quitting not really he says he wants to leave but he has a contract Oliver Kahn pissed off saying no you can't you're going to have to honour your contract uh, you're not serious Klopp blamed for final chaos there were, there were um, one of the guys in our travelling party was offered a, a 
a fake ticket. He was told, this is fake, but it'll more than likely get you in. And it was 50 quid. Wow. Was, you take like, that gamble, don't you? Uh, no, no, if you do. I mean... Uh, Did you take the gamble? No, he didn't. Knowing knowing that you're going into, like, French riot police, the French riot police, the body armour is, like, kind of armadillo style. Mm-hmm. Very impressive slash intimidating. I would not... I would not try and squeeze into a stadium with a fake ticket. Maybe that's just me on. No, but it's like, I mean, if we're just taking this... You were like, yes! If we're just taking this to the the nth uh, degree here, you're not saying... You're pretending that you got screwed over by somebody when you uh, produced that fake ticket. Oh, yeah. I mean... Oh, no. You're you're a good actor. I guess spending 50 quid on that would be utterly stupid given you could just produce one yourself for free. Well, I, I, I... Yeah. Maybe you couldn't. I don't know. You're saying they looked identical to the real tickets? I, so the real tickets didn't seem to look like tickets. Okay. That was listening to what Conor Moore was saying. Uh, Chelsea win the Super Bowl. Todd Burley. We haven't... Like, We're going with Bowley, I think. Yeah, but it looks funny, so we should... Anyway, Rogers on track to top job. Rob Carney insists the IRFU don't need to bring Ron Nagara home to a top provincial job before handing in the Ireland hot seat. But Paul O'Connell's going to be the next Ireland manager, coach. You think? Well, that's what the, that's what he's there for, right? What about the Leinster duo, in particular Leo Cullen? Is that not what he's there for? Well, Leo's in the frame for the CEO job at Leinster. Okay, so that would obviously be a different path entirely. Yeah, yeah. In the frame as in he wants that job? Don't know. Or like as, as in has been linked with heavily. There's a competition for that job. Right. What's a, be- what's a better job? The CEO of Leinster or the head coach of Ireland? Well, which is the more sustainable job? Yeah. That, uh, that probably comes into the, which is the better job as well, does it, from his perhaps. point of view? Stephen Kenny, we can hit new highs. I, so, I, like, I don't know. Is, 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 give me the odds on Ron Nogara as an international head coach. What's the favourite? Which job is the favourite? If you were making up... So... Skip, not his next job, but which is the international job that Ron Nagar is most likely to get? Ireland. Second? England. See, I think... I think that's like wrong. France. That's what I think. I think that Nagar could stay at La Rochelle for another three or four years through this World Cup cycle and then he's going to have his pick of jobs and that France job could be available. Yeah, so you get to the 2023 Rugby World Cup and then after France win the trophy, they start looking for the successor and O'Gara's like, oh, I'll see you out this season. Or even it's like, it could be the middle of that. Or maybe like if France win the World Cup, do they just keep the coaching ticket in place for a while? Or does everybody go, right, job done here, let's get out of here while we get going while the going's good? Well, quite possibly. Like it's a home World Cup, it feels like the end of something rather than the start of something. And that, that could be the time to, to come in. I think that Ireland would probably want to be on high enough alert. Munster are going to want to have a plan here for O'Gara as well. I'm not saying they'd be able to get him, but they're, they're certainly going to be thinking about what they can do to attract him to the province at some point down the line. Um, have you heard about the Andy Carroll story? No. Andy Carroll's on a stag weekend. The picture emerges of Andy and uh, a female. Now Andy's asleep in his bed. And this picture gets out. But um, the woman in the picture insists that Andy Carroll, true to form, didn't score. That's how the Sun are reporting it this morning. Sorry, Billy, I know how it looks, but we didn't have sex. Uh, 
But Taylor, 27, insists the striker, as frustrated fans know well, did not score that night. <laughs> and the back page, tab of the morning to you. Oba Femi starting. Kenny Swanstar will sink or swim. Um, he doesn't quite say sink or swim, but the swan... The swan's a bird and it floats on the water. So that's what the... Uh, Stephen Kenny saying, no, he's ready to go. He's not here to... He's not here just to make up the number and see how we do things. It's like he's here to play because he's actually, you know, our most informed striker at the moment. Yeah, and there's a, I think it looks like he's going to be uh, well within a, a chance of, of starting that first game against Armenia. And his, his club form, as you say, has been so good. It's been better than everybody else in the, that Ireland squad at attack and, and at a level that's above some of those strikers as well. So um, it's, it's up of him his time. If he, if he starts well, the jersey will be his to lose then. Um. Liverpool call for French to apologise. Fury over claims 40,000 fans had fake tickets. UEFA to investigate events that marred final. City chased two more signings and uh, 18,000 Lords tickets unsold. Uh, Manchester City chairman Khaldun Al-Mubarak has said the Premier League champions will sign two more players this summer. He didn't name them, but uh, it's the Brighton left-back and Calvin Phillips that they've been linked with. Cucurella, is it? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good good additions to the squad like it does does feel that I, I, I do think that um, Manchester City do need to, to bolster in defence potentially even in the heart of their defence they might be taking a bit of a risk on everybody being fit again next season but the hairy moment they endured at the last day of the season was because Fernandinho was manning the centre of their defence so I don't know maybe if they sign Cucurella one of their they can just shift somebody in and they don't have to have I know Stones was playing on the other side of the defence but you wouldn't have to have Stones shift over to a full back position when you're during a bit of injury trouble so Do they really not have like a right back I mean every club team in Ireland has like five right backs yeah I don't know uh, like it did seem that they were quite shorn but like that was that was a situation for a lot of the season where they were, they were kind of depending on 14, 15 players of absolute quality. Like You can't really criticise their depth when the three substitutes they're bringing on in the Premier League every week were absolute top-class players. But um, I still, still think they could do with a couple of more players. Like we're talking about just such a high ceiling and, and such a high margin of, of error for this, this Manchester City team. So you're kind of looking towards perfection with that squad. Uh, Nadal anger at Djokovic start time. So Rafa Nadal wanted the game to be on earlier because he felt like the higher temperature would be better for his chances of victory whereas this actually kind of levels things up a little bit um, so we think the game is going to start around 8 ok right I think that's a good box office time I think I do, like I mean as Colin was saying earlier it could be something that goes well into the night and that could be a bit of a, a pain for people but like this will have a massive global audience if it does go late into the night you've got a massive US audience then clocking on to watch this as well so I think it could be absolutely one of the, the early highlights of the sports summer alright we're going to talk with Billy O'Loughlin the Longford Football Manager next OTB AM on OTB Sports Radio Ireland's first and only sports radio station Marginal gains XG Top speed Recovery What's it all about? Want to improve but don't know where to start? With more data than ever now available OTB Sports have teamed up with Whoop to cut through the noise and help you raise your game no matter the sport OTB Sports are delivering the metrics that matter Meaningful Metrics, in partnership with Whoop, the personalized digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential. See Whoop.com for more. Follow OTB Sports social channels for the best insights and stats this season. The Football Pod with Paddy Andrews and James O'Donoghue is heading west and they want you to join them. Paddy, James and host Tommy Rooney are Castlebar bound on Thursday, June 2nd 
and just announced to be joining them on stage is the Mayo legend Keith Higgins. They'll relive old Dublin Kerry and Mayo battles at Croker and beyond, as well as analysing Championship 2022. That's the football pod at the Royal TF Castle Bar. Tickets are €20 Euro plus booking fees. Get yours now at otbsports.com forward slash events. With prices from only €289 Euro for fully comprehensive car insurance, Everyone's making the jump to getsetgo.ie. New business policies only. Prices subject to minimum premiums. Season C and C's apply. MCL Insurance Services Limited Trading is getsetgo.ie is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Right, you're very welcome back. If you want to get in touch this afternoon, you can get us on 0879-180-180 or, of course, you can always uh, use the hashtag OTBAM either if uh, that's how you want to get in touch. And obviously the easiest and handiest way these days to get in touch with us is by um, talking to us on our YouTube channel. And I'm delighted to say Billy Lachlan, the Longford Gaelic football manager, is with us this morning to talk to us about his experience of the Talton Cup and indeed the Leinster Championship as well. Billy, first off, commiserations... Um, it was a fairly close run thing at the weekend in the game against Fermanagh. What's your, how are you feeling after that now? Yeah, look, uh, as the dust settled, I suppose you're probably um, uh, disappointed having having been beaten in the end, you know, and you know, with such a such a tight and uh, sharp finish, I suppose it was made it that little bit more uh, uh, disappointing, you know, when the final whistle went. But you know, in, in terms of experience and and uh, you know. In, in general, about the Talton Cup, it was absolutely fantastic, and and the players were were you know delighted to be able to play in a competition that gave them some real competitive balance, you know. And granted, granted, it was a knockout game, and and that, and I know it's going to be changed around Robin uh, next year, which is fantastic that the players will get more games, um, you know, against against teams of 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 an equal standing, which I, I think is 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 the best way to develop um, players and and get them to the next level, you know, certainly. From, from our point of view, we were very, very happy to take part in it. And, you know, we, we had a really big push for the Talton Cup. And, you know, it was very little drop off. Uh, one or two lads had gone to America and that uh, directly after the league. But I think there was probably more of an emphasis from the start of the year, certainly from my point of view, that, that the Talton Cup was something that we could, you know, uh, genuinely compete in. And it's a, a competition that I think going forward has, has great potential. Certainly has great potential anyway. How, what stage of the cycle are you at with Longford? How long are you there and what's your what's your plan into the future? Yeah, well, I, look, I was the last manager, I think, in and, and probably, I suppose, surprised a lot of people by, by, by getting the job. But I think Albert Cooney has been very forward thinking and he wanted someone that was a bit, you know, a bit, a bit uh, you know, younger in their in their careers and, and someone that, you know, I suppose is going to, Get people. I, I got people around me that were going to think outside the box, and that the likes of Michael Hannan and Paul Brady and that. So, look, we started very late in December, and you know, I made, I suppose, I made my feelings clear with with Albert on, on the the Leinster Championship and and things like that from the start. And I thought that for Longford to develop with 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 the young players that we have, the league was of vital importance to us. And I think that you know, staying up in Division Three was absolutely huge because you know, make no bones about it, Longford played. Mead in the championship in 2021 and they were beaten quite heavily I think it was 422 to 12 points and you know that's that's not good for anyone from from a smaller county and, and certainly with such a small pool of players in Longford um you know we we had to start this year without six of those forwards you know they, they, they weren't on the panel they wouldn't come in for one reason or another and 
you know, I spoke to I spoke to most of them and, and very courteous lads and, you know, explained to me that, you know, the, the, the merits of playing with Longford and, you know, the challenges of playing with Longford and a lot of them are based in, on the east, eastern border of Dublin and, and in Galway and that. And, you know, as I made my feelings clear, I suppose the carrot at the end of the stick has always been the, the Leinster Championship. And, you know, that's that's not very attractive anymore to, to players that are working at, you know, at such a high level and high level jobs, and and are, are are putting such commitment into their football as well. So, um, you know that that was that has been difficult, I suppose, uh, from that point of view. But we 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 kind of took the bull by the horns uh, early doors, and 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 just stuck the younger guys in there, the, the 19, 18, 19, 20 year olds, and I think we finished the game the other day against Fermanagh with with uh, four 20 year olds and two 19 year olds playing. So, I'm not sure if there's any other county in Ireland. Uh, with that turnover of players, but it's 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 absolutely super that they got uh, that they got to, to, to experience the Talton Cup and and in an environment you know with Saturday evening against Fermanagh and it was just brilliant. It, 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 it was such a close game. It was very you know set up was was quite defensive and it was you know a real a real game of attrition right to the wire and and to get those young lads in that environment was marvelous and it serves them an awful lot better than having to go up and, and play in in. Uh, in, in Croke Park, maybe having won one game and and then to be, you know, subjected to, I suppose, um, a team who were much further down the line, like like a Dublin or a Kildare. So from that point of view, it, it has been great. You know, it's diffi- it has been difficult up and down and we've had an up and down, I suppose, league. Um, but staying in, in, in the Division 3 was super. And then, you know, we really put a big push for the Talton Cup. And look, it was knockout, wasn't to be, but overall a, a thoroughly enjoyable experience. I'll talk to you about the players who are are with you and, and plans for the future in, in a moment. Just to go back, because I, I, we sometimes get accused of um, having an agenda when it comes to this, but the agenda is based on listening to people like you who are managing counties and finding it difficult to convince players to play. So can we just go back to that? Because it, when you're yeah. when you're talking to the six lads who who aren't playing, yeah, uh, it's 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 specifically or, or one of the things that they talk about is not being humiliated in Croke Park. In the Leinster Championship, is that is that accurate for me to say that? I, they wouldn't specifically say that, but look, in a roundabout way, it's something that would be you know at the back of their minds, and and definitely I know from from past experiences with nearly all counties in Leinster that you know uh, apart from Dublin, really that that, that they've, they've shipped you know numerous uh, uh, drubbings, I suppose, if you like, at the hands of um, teams that would be, you know, further down the path, as I'd like to say, but it, it's definitely it's a concern. And look, there's such a small playing pool in Longford, and you know, they really have been punching above their weight, you know, in terms of staying in Division Three for the last seven or eight years. But it is, it's, it is, it, it's a worry that 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 players would be turned away from the game that they've been playing since they're young lads, and, and they're, they're often against playing with their their inter county team because of the. You know the hard slog and and the six month commitment for a competition that really you know it has no it, there's no competitive balance there and you know the Leinster Council are are you know it's just it, it, they're serving up a, a competition for players that you know it, it's not meaningful for them really and and you know when you weigh it up in terms of ratios to uh, Leinster Championship games to, to six months of training you know is is that something that they're going to do. No, it's not. Is the is the Talton Cup next year with a with a group stage and a round robin? Is that something that that players can aspire to win and uh, you know and sense of achievement there if you went well in it and got a run in it? Absolutely, you know. And I think um, that that is something that, that that that's a worry. But 
you know, hopefully now with, with the Talented Cup, uh, you know, we will be able to uh, drum up enough support to get some of these guys in because the clubs in Longford have been absolutely fantastic. And, and you know, there, there's some great, strong clubs in, in, in Longford, as you know, Kilo and Mullinyakta and Dramard and, you know, all these, these teams uh, are producing fantastic players. And it's just sometimes... You know the the players are up and off the panel, and that is difficult. And and it's it really is difficult to throw four or five, 19, 20 year olds into a into a starting forward line um, against a seasoned team like Fermanagh. Uh, let alone you know Fermanagh who are at our level, but let alone a Division One team that that you might have played in the Leinster Championship. So look, it is a concern, and and I think that the Tilting Cup is a definitely a building building blocks, or, or it's a steps a step towards enticing these guys in and. I think for 2023, um, you know, we're probably going to be, you know, we'll be on the front foot in terms of, uh, uh, you know, preparing the team with, with getting those lads in. So where does that leave the Leinster Championship in your plans for 2023? Well, look, uh, judging by the, by the schedule of games that's going to be uh, laid on for us next year, you've in a Bourne Cup, which would be probably in around early January in the, in the muck and rain, and then you've, a Division Three competition, which is is so evenly balanced and so competitive next year with Down and Offaly and and Cavan and Tipperary in it. So look, that that will be of utmost importance to Longford to um, to compete in that. And and uh, you know it's very enjoyable. Those games are are, are really really enjoyable. And you know you, you know look, you, you, we probably lost more than we won this year, but it was really really enjoyable. And I think the players are are are, are coming around to recognising that 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 is probably the most important competition followed closely next year by, by the Talton Cup and, and, and group stages and group games in the summer months, hopefully, in in, in May and June, if, if they push it out that far. That, that, that That's where players want to be playing. Like Players are crying out to play games in the summertime that have, you know, the importance of them, that they are, you know, of equally balanced and, and competitive. And the Leinster Championship would be so further down the line for, for us next year. Um, and I, I think the length the length of championship is actually sandwiched in between the league and the Talton Cup. So, you know, they're they're not they're not making things easy for themselves in terms of attendances. And like for example, like I remember being on on the sideline, uh, you know, in two thousand and five with Leash when when uh, when when they were beaten by Dublin, there was eighty two thousand at it. Um, and you know, last last week's Leinster final probably had 30, 34 or five thousand at it. So. People are voting with their feet, and uh, you know it's it's replicated throughout the the early rounds of the, of the, the Leinster Championship. I think there was two thousand nine hundred people at a local derby between uh, Longford and Westmead. And you go back even I remember Leash and Carlo playing with the, with the Phantom Pint in nineteen ninety seven. There was about eighteen or nineteen thousand in Fort Leash. So you know if that doesn't speak volumes as to where the Leinster Championship is, I don't really know what what, what will. Do you see any points in the Leinster Football Championship for Longford anymore? For certainly for smaller teams, uh, the first round uh, can usually be very competitive, and you know you'll get you'll get a win every now and again, you know, against a, a larger a larger fish, if you like. And and uh, you know Longford have done it in the past and have certainly competed. You know, drew it Kildare a couple of years ago. They beat Mead in, in twenty eighteen, and and you know Carlo have had have had a great victory over the last couple of years against Kildare and that. But you know then. To go out the following week, then it's it's very difficult, you know, with 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 the, uh, probably strength and depth in the panel to go and compete with a Division One team. It's very very difficult, and and you know when now that the Talton Cup is there, I think that you know that the emphasis needs to be 
more so on on uh, competing at that level rather than um, the Leinster Championship. Look, I mean, Longford have been to two Leinster finals in 137 years um, of play in in in, in 60, 65 and 68. Um, and look, that's that's not that's not a, a good ratio, I suppose. Of of, of uh, <sighs> For for any for any county really, and look if you go down through it with the Wicklow's and the and the the, the Carlos and even Westmeads uh, have been to, to, to very few finals and and that leashes loads, you know. So it's the way it is at the moment. I think there has been one winner of the of the of the Leinster Championship. There've been you know seventeen of the last last eighteen have been by uh, by Dublin. So look, is that is that competitive? I, I'm not so sure. Do you think like? we're getting to a point where the Longfords of the world, the Carlos of the world might just decide what's the point in us being part of this competition anymore. Do you, do you think, for example, Longford should be part of the competition next year? Yeah, look, uh, they're obviously going to run the competition again next year and, and, and have done for, for, for since its inception, I suppose. And, uh, you know, it's just, is it fit for purpose? I think I, I said back in, in, in January after one of our Auburn Cup games, Against Dublin, where we were very competitive, and it was in you know in in the wind and the rain and down in Longford to get Dublin down there, and it was look it was a competitive game, and that and that's where that's probably where you deserve your shot at at the bigger counties in the early pre-season tournaments as opposed to now where you know we're just on on a different graph if you like, uh, so we'll certainly compete in it, and as I said this year our Westmead game in the championship was 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 a cup final for us, and we were hoping to. Um, you know, to get one over on them again, as we did in the league. But um, now that, as I said, now that the inception of the, the Talton Cup is there, I think that the focus, uh, you know, certainly from a player's point of view, the likes of Darren Gallagher and Paddy Collum and Mickey Quinn, of course, you know, these boys have spoken out in the dressing room after our Westmead game that the Talton Cup was something that they could achieve, you know, that they could go on and, 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 and potentially win at some stage throughout their careers. And, you know, given it's it it has got reasonably good publicity in the last while from certainly from the players, um, you know that that's a that can be a good thing. But the Leinster Championship, I think, um, the likes of your Mick Reynolds and Pat Teans and these guys, you know, it's it's uh, the walls are closing in. I would say on, on on it in terms of it being you know it staying competitive because you know it, it just hasn't been that that way. It's kind of pointless at this stage. It's certainly from a point of view of of, of prep preparing a team for us, uh, it, 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 it has little to no importance in terms of what, what we can achieve and what we can win. And I think that our Division 3 is, is just, it's a phenomenal competition that we play in. Um, it's going to be phenomenally difficult to, to, to try and compete and stay in that next year. And that's what players want. Players are getting seven unbelievably tough games. Um, in, in a competition that, that that's of, of huge you know importance to us and uh, you know it's a it's of great significance that that uh, the guys can develop in in these competitions and particularly when you know you have young, such young players that, that that we've been using the, the Jack Duggans and the Keelan McGanns and, and and these guys you know that they're 19 20 years of age and and preparing them in, in a division three with competitive games is is, is just Know, it makes more sense than, than the drubbings that you might receive later down the line in the Leinster. The one thing about the league, while it's a brilliant competition, we are not guaranteed in uh, February, March and April good quality weather. 
and not, not guaranteed weather at any time in Ireland, you have to say, but certainly the weather, no. at least in summer, the ground is a bit better and uh, yeah. it has an opportunity to dry out and we might get a bit of sunshine. Yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. But like, if you think back to um, some of those league weekends, the wind was howling and the rain was lashing and the cameras needed wipes and we couldn't really see what was going on in some of them. But still, yeah. but still the games were all fairly close in, in all three divisions, all four divisions. They were unbelievably competitive. Like it was, look, my first experience, I suppose, as the management team with, with Mickey Hannon and Paul Brady and the likes. And we were just, we, you know, we, we stated that after every game that we were in, we were in the game uh, in all eight, seven games we played, and we were competitive in all of them. We won a couple of them, uh, drew one of them, and 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 really, you know, if you look back over some of the, the video analysis that we were doing, like the wind and the rain, you know, and the conditions are just atrocious and. Longford played four competitive games in January, in the last three weeks of January, and in June, July, and August will play none, and and that that's 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 incredible. You look at the League of Ireland at the moment. I think uh, attendances are up fifty two percent on what they were in two thousand and nineteen, because the games are competitive. They're playing in sunshine. You know, people like uh, bringing their families to games where the weather is great. They're not going to go to games in in in, in muck and dirt in, in January and February. Like it's. The, the, the January should be set aside for Sigerson, which is a fantastic competition. Um, and, and then they should start the pre-season in, in, towards the end of February. Like there's February, March, April, May, June, months there that that that, that the weather is a little bit better, you know, but particularly in May and June where, where like, Longford have no game in June now, no competitive championship uh, game in June where they had four competitive games in January. That just doesn't make sense whatsoever, you know. Even with the round robin next year, will you have games in June if the round robin kicks in? Yeah, I, I, I hope so. I hope it's pushed back into into June and that because the club championships certainly here in Leash don't start till the end of July and, and August, and they don't start till August in, in in Longford either. So, you know, players are not playing championship now with their club or their county in June and July. Um, you know, and that has to be looked at. So it's it's players look from being in the dressing room and and. Uh, with Longford this year, players are screaming out for games and competitive games, and that's all they want. You know, they're 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 amateur players. They're travelling up two and three nights a week from Dublin in in traffic, in rain, and you know, you name it. And and you know, just the, the sheer joy that that you get from competing in games, and particularly the other day, like I mean, to, see, to watch that Talton Cup game the other day with Fermanagh and Longford go right down to the wire and. You know, seeing Irlo Sullivan in, in, in full flow and Ulton Kelm for 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 Mana really a sight to behold the speed of him and 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 you know the level of enjoyment that, that the Fermana guys got from from winning the game and, and you know that's something that we want to be part of. But you know, it's 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 over now for a lot of the counties and even you know I'm close to Carlo here and and seeing Carlo winning the uh, beating Tipperary in, in 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 perfect conditions in, in Dr Cullen last weekend. That is exactly what. Uh, uh, football for the lower teams in, in Division 3 and 4 is about and, and hopefully now with the Talton Cup we, we'll get more games and like more competitive games will bring people to, to stadiums to grounds around the country what, what what we're doing at the moment in Leinster is we're, we're, we're uh, half selling out a quarter selling out uh, Croke Park whereas these you know Talton Cup games around the country you know, given time, we'll start. We'll start to increase in, in attendances and fill out grounds, and and you'll have, you know, really like look at Leitrim and, and and Sligo this weekend, or next weekend, whenever it's on. This weekend, we'll we'll have a great crowd at, uh, at uh, for Man and Cavan. We'll have a great crowd at 
that's exactly what people want. It's what players want. But yet, you know, we're being served up this this Leinster Championship, which, um, you know, it, it is no good for any any certainly the three and four the division three and four counties anyway. It turns out it's not that good for the division one and division two teams either. Like it just doesn't it just doesn't work. Is there no. a world? Is there any world in which you guys wouldn't take part, like, and get together that's with the with the counties on your same level and say, "What's the point of this, lads? This is a waste of our time." We'd be as well playing challenges against each other and not taking part in this. Yeah, I think that's that's certainly something that uh, you know I, I, I have discussed. Uh, you know, maybe a lot of purists and and, and uh, traditionalists in the GA and certainly in the smaller counties always like their the, the big crack at, at, at the big boys but it's not the same anymore it's a semi it's it's a semi professional uh set up in most counties and and the further up up the divisions you go the more professional really it gets and i think it's 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 uh it's very naive of of, of certain um traditionalists in in, in a lot of uh, counties to, to 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 think otherwise and you know albert cooney i think for me I, i've spoken at length with him about um, would there be any point in 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 in, uh, in in kind of not competing in the Leinster Championship next year? And and uh, you know, obviously enough, it, it, it's it's a, probably a bit of a way out there um, opinion on it. But it's it's the the, the Talton Cup would serve will serve us a uh, uh, great value next year, getting more games in it. So look, the Leinster will we probably will be in the Leinster Championship next year, and we'll we'll treat it like we did this year as a as a kind of a, a cup final, if you like. But um, in terms of developing our younger players from from uh, from Longford, um, it's it, it's it's uh, it's all about the league and, and the Dalton Cup. That's interesting, Billy. You, you've actually had the idea of not competing in the Leinster Championship because this is, I think, it's the first time we've ever heard a manager who who you know who is a, at intercounty level say this does not do us any good. And I'm thinking about what a world would look like if we pulled out of it and how that might actually make our team better. Isn't that a remarkable scenario we find ourselves in? Where in, in uh, 2022, you think that actually the best thing for you is not to take part in the scheduled official competition. Like, it does seem radical, but it also, listening to you for the last 15 minutes, it also seems completely logical. Yeah, look, look, it's it's uh, certainly sentiments that, that uh, look, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's only, it's only my opinion. But we, I have spoken at length with the players about what's important for us. Um, develop and I think that you know uh, the competitive nature of of, of sport uh, means that you know players are, are very keen to achieve and develop and I, do, I don't think they get that in the Leinster Championship and you know um, you know where, where we go with the Leinster Championship from here is is, is, is is an unknown but I think it's sandwiched as I said it's sandwiched in between two very competitive competitive competitions for us next year so Look, I'm not going to say that we'll, we'll, we'll entirely be, we'll be rooting for pulling out of it, but it's it's it, in terms of importance, it's it's down the list. Do you talk to any other intercounty managers about this as well? Is there like a, you know, is this something that you, if there was an intercounty manager WhatsApp group and you put in here, lads, listen, you know, we don't think this is any good. What would the response be like? Yeah, look, I, I don't know if they'd be as 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 open and as honest as that, but certainly, um, you know, the statistics don't lie on on on. The, the the end product of the Leinster Championship and there's been one there's been a w- one one winner in the last you know Dublin have won at 17 out of 18 years so look I'm sure if you asked any of the Dublin players um, not that you'd get much of an answer but uh, 
I think that they would rather be playing in 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 a, in a competition as well, where they're getting games week in week out for you know nail biting close encounters, and it's just that's not something that that uh, that's that's happening at the moment, and and that's evident um, from from all quarters that you can see that. So managers are uh, look any of the managers that I've spoken to when we've played challenge games or anything like that, they're very very competitive guys, and and rightly so, and you know even uh, even the likes of Tipperary winning a couple of years ago and Cavan winning a couple of years ago. And look, that's that's not for me to, to, to make a call on that. That's Munster and, and, and Ulster. I'm just talking from from a from a Longford point of view and how we can develop uh, is is uh, is what's important to us. Yeah, and they did win in COVID years as well in wintertime. So like, it's not like it was a, a normal summertime championship and not to diminish what their achievements at all because obviously everybody's going through the same things but it was not It was the complete outlier and if we're going to make the rules based on complete outliers you know, once in a blue moon, once in a 40 year, once in a 100 years uh, in, in some instances then we're not really designing competitions to get the most from all of the counties to give everybody the opportunity to have their best players playing for the same amount of games over the course of the year and then we can begin to judge where should the money go to help where does the coaching need to go where do we need to invest in urban areas where do we need to make sure that rural clubs are being supported to keep them going like we, we can begin to make proper long term plans if we actually had the competition structures in place look I, I don't want to rehash the proposal B we argued till we were blue in the face this is the way forward. Give it a chance. See what happens. Take a risk. And we got shot down because, well, sure, those players are going to be moving on in a couple of years anyway. Yeah. Um, like, the Talton Cup is a little bit of a halfway house, but we still have, in the middle of summer, there's going to be uh, a Munster final and there's going to be a Leinster football final and fewer and fewer people are going to go to those games. It now turns out the counties aren't even that interested. You're, like, I'm delighted you've been so honest about it because it's hard to get people on the record to say, this doesn't matter anymore. This matters and this matters. And we all know the league is the best competition we have. Yeah. Like, Imagine if the league was being played in summertime now. Imagine if you were going down to the last round with something on the line in the league. Like, yeah. you'd be feeling, yeah. people would come, be coming to watch you training. Yeah, exactly. And look, uh, look, our, our league went down to the last game at Leash and it was a very you know, intense encounter. But, you know, it was, it was winner take all on the day. And, and that sort of um, scenario is, is what's really needed in, in, in terms of summer football. And, you know, I, I, I don't think, if, I think if you asked a, a Dublin fan, honestly, uh, you know, going to these games, these Leinster Championship games, like, you know, the Big Wexford and and, and, uh, and Mead, Mead and Kildare, you know, it, it, are they getting value for their money to go to Croke Park to watch a ha- in a half-empty stadium to watch, you know, the, in cruise control? And, and, and look, this isn't today or yesterday. This has been like this for since 2005 nearly, you know, so... Uh, you know, something will really have to be done about it. But you know, from from our point of view, uh, that's that's just the way it is. And we spoke, as I said, we, we spoke with the players, and the players are of utmost importance, certainly to 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 me and and the management. That you know, we, we want to see what 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 these guys want, and and you know, they're they're the guys that are putting the time and effort in, and you know, they're the guys that that that. Uh, people of Longford will be going to see so what is it they want and what what, what they've been you know screaming out that that, that they're they're very keen to play uh, more of these games and and look the proposal B was an absolute no-brainer and there's probably no need to, to rehash uh, 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 that that argument again but it, it really was it was an open goal and certainly from from division three and four counties 
it would have led to summer football, championship football, and and a, and a pathway of progression where you can you can get your day in the sun against your 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 Kildares and Dublins and and, and Kerry's in that if you if you um, won your your league championships if you like. So uh, it's from a revenue point of view, I think the GA are selling themselves short because people are just uh, they're voting with their feet and they're not paying. They're not paying for these tickets to come in and watch these these uh, uh, I suppose dead rubbers, if you like, um, un- until it gets to the business end. And look, the business end of the year when you see Dublin and Kerry and Tyrone and all these teams in full flow, it's absolutely fantastic. It's an unbelievably uh, uh, brilliant, marketable product that 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 people go and see. But we're just not getting enough competition, and that's the problem with with the Leinster Championship and. You know, I, I, it's 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 disappointing because you know I've been going to Leinster championship games since I was a, a child, and and uh, you know uh, it just doesn't have that same um, buzz about it that it that it that it had, and 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 the players, I think the players are aware of that as well, and and uh, it's important to be real to be to be realistic about where we sit at the moment with the Leinster championship, and uh, you know we're 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 delighted that there is a Talton Cup there for us to compete in next year. Billy, great stuff. It's really interesting to hear somebody who's at the coalface, who who talks to the players and who is a, a very uh, passionate and very clear and logical advocate for them because, you know, I think it's important that your voice is heard and all this as well. Commiserations on the exits and I'm looking forward to what you to what you do next year with a, a full pre-season behind you as well. Thanks a million. Cheers, thanks, Joe. It's uh, Billy O'Loughlin there, the manager of the Longford Gaelic football team. Um, you know, like, I think somebody's going to have to take radical action and if it comes from the Longfords and Carlos of the world by saying we're not going to take part in the Leinster Championship, then maybe, maybe that might be something that starts a conversation. But uh, hopefully that starts a debate about what the future is and we start talking about these things as opposed to how boring the Ulster football final was. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Um... Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio today. Ronnie Delaney from 1 o'clock. Dadcast from 3. Packy Bonner, a career retrospective of 4. OTB Gold is uh, Michael Rasmussen on doping. And 7 o'clock live tonight, uh, Joe and the lads. A reminder, the football pod with Paddy Andrews, James O'Donoghue and Tommy is live at the Royal Theatre in Castle Bar on Thursday, June the 2nd. Tickets are available on Ticketmaster or otbsports.com forward slash events. We'll leave you with some Pat Nevin. Back from half 7 tomorrow. Good luck. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.